<laughs> okay, I'm going to start. It's a long shot. Andrew from Toon Talk Radio, live and exclusive from Gateshead with all the interviews when it comes to Newcastle, Sunderland and sometimes Middlesbrough. Well, it's been an interesting week to say the least with uh, the, new, the, the amount of defeats that seem to be coming our way, uh, one after another at home, two at home and one away on Saturday. Uh, it's a bit of doom and gloom, obviously with the takeover as well and some of the attacks, uh, uh, to me anyway, I don't, we'll talk about it in a moment, but... Uh, just uh, click, it's www.toontalk.co.uk if you want to listen to the show on your handheld device, just go to www.novaradio.co.uk and you can actually uh, listen via Google Play wherever you are in the world and there'll be a podcast later as well so you can uh, listen to the show. It's the final show of the year, I'm heading to Germany uh, on Wednesday so it will be my last show until we come back. And I'd like to bring in my uh, co-host this evening, live and exclusive from Dubai. Good evening, Neil. How are you? I'm very well. Are you going to Germany by any chance, Andrew? <laughs> Just a bit. You may have mentioned it in the last four weeks. <laughs> you made it to Germany. So it just hit me now I'm going. Going to Germany. I've to buy lots well, and lots of things. Schnell. Achtung. <laughs> Should be fun anyway. For you, Tommy. Mm, sorry, that's my World War II German. Hang on, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to... Uh, I, when I arrive, I'm supposed to be having a drinks. There's a drinks environment set up at the house I'm staying at, so that's going to be a welcome to Germany. So I'm very, is, very is happy. It, is it a house, or is it like one of them horror films, in like hospital? No, it's actually a massive house with uh, 20 bedrooms. A friend of mine's got one there, so very, very good. Yes, very posh, very expensive, and I'm finally going to have a holiday for a change. Well, so it's been an interesting week, Neil, hasn't it? I'll bring in my on one of our guests that's uh, been on a couple of times now and Steve Wraith to make a bit of a sense at all and we'll then bring in Vicky uh, Sparks who was our main guest today. So good evening, good evening Steve, how are you? Yes, good evening uh, uh, Andrew, how are you? Good evening Neil. Evening mate, how are you doing? Very good, very good. Enjoying the lovely weather here Neil, it's 100 degrees in Gateshead. You know what it is? It's, it's, it's gone. It's gone down as low as eighteen degrees, and there's people walking around with gloves and body warmers on, and I just still can't get my head around that. As long <laughs> as I've been out here, I'll, I, I'm, I'm still wandering around in, in my shirt sleeves, <laughs> thinking, "Oh, it's quite pleasant to get the hood down on the car." And there's people in like hats and body warmers on. I can I just don't get it. It just makes me feel better in this horrendous weather when I speak to you. Uh, I can feel Absolutely. the warmth emanate, emanating from the on the phone line. Yeah. Yeah. I miss this every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to we're going to talk a bit of media as well, and 
I'll bring in my uh, main guest, and then Steve can, Steve and Neil can t- ask lots and lots of questions of Vicky. Uh, so I'm going to give her a full title in a moment, just as I load it all up. So just bear with me a moment. Okay, so she's uh, so our main guest this evening is Vicky Sparks, who is freelance reporter for BBC Radio Live, Final Score, Premier League Productions, BBC Newcastle. Love God, I'm a Catholic too. Good, good for you. Sport and life. Views are all mine. Good evening, Vicky. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. No, no problem. It's a pleasure to have you on. I know you've got a busy schedule and you've got uh, Steve Rith. Who you, I, you might, do you know Steve? I'm sure you've met him. Yeah, yeah, we've met at games several times. And Neil is a, an old an old hand at Tatal Sport when I used to work on the same vet. So nice to chat to you, Neil. I was always very jealous of the temperature over where you are as well. So. <laughs> long, long, time, long time indeed. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, very good, thank you. How are good. you? Very good, thank you. So, Steve, tell me a bit. Tell me a bit, a bit about Vicky. Uh, obviously, while I go into what, what you know, how it's been for her, and, uh, with, with with her uh, with her work expertise, and it must be in the media. But what 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 we had last week with the, the takeover, uh, maybe you can fill us in a little bit. Well, you want me to do that? I mean, yeah, yeah. The t- takeover, from my perspective, Andrew, is it's quite simple. We're at we're at a stalemate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, PCP are certainly um, the only runner and rider in this in this race for you know, the ownership of Newcastle United. And from from my perspective, as somebody who you know I do have a foot in both camps, I would I would mm-hmm. say that um, you know it, it's a case of you know compromise. And as soon as the compromise is reached, then I feel that um, you know the, the deal will be done. But you know the the problem we all have, as we know, uh, as you rightly pointed out at the start of your show, is that. Results at the moment aren't good. Um, I saw Mark Douglas's tweet this afternoon, which, which, which was a, a, a stat, if you like, that um, you know this is the worst return of Premier League points for Newcastle mm. ever in the Premier League at this stage of the season, and worst return of, of goals scored. So you know you, you can't argue with stats. Um, you know that they're there, and you know ultimately, you know as Rafa said after the Everton defeat, you know he, he you know he is to blame as much as as the players that he puts out on the pitch, but. There is this um, strange situation that we have with the takeover, and um, that is that is essentially uh, encapsulating the whole season. It, it, it is hanging over the club, and until that is resolved, then we cannot really move forward because we're in a position now where we have an owner who does want to sell, and he wants to sell it for for top price. We have uh, a, you know an interested party who wants to come in buy the club and take it on to the next step, which if we believe Mike Ashley, um, that is what he wants to, that's what he wants the next owner to do. Um, but they can't agree on a price. So we have to hope that in the next couple of weeks that that price is, is agreed and that in some way or form in January, we can have a situation where either Mike Ashley puts the money in for Rafa to spend and that is repaid when the deal is complete or the takeover is... Is, is is you know fast tracked, which I find really that's probably the second option. I can't see that happening now, but it, you know in some way or form it's fast tracked, and that you know PCP are allowed to invest in the club so that the transfers can take place. But it's it, it's all you know it's all dependent on this on this takeover, and the takeover doesn't happen. Where will Newcastle United be? As I've said, you know, uh, you know, to, to, to you, you know, face to face, Andrew. I've said to Neil when we've chatted, 
um, you know, we are going to be, you know, in serious trouble because Mike Ashley has already said he can't afford to invest in the playing squad. And, you know, from our perspective, if this if this first team, uh, this club isn't invested in in January, there's only one place it will be, and that's in the championship. And we're very much looking down the road at Sunderland as, as where we could be in 12 months' time, you know. Sunderland Football Club are in a position where we could, you know, quite easily find ourselves in 12 months' time, struggling in the championship, unable to get out, and with a club which is worth half of what it's worth at the moment. So it's not a pleasant picture that I'm painting, but it's a, I would say that it's a, a genuine picture, an honest picture, you know? No, I'd agree with you, Steve. I think without the right investment um, in January, uh, we're going to be playing two derby matches again next season. That, that's quite, quite clear to me. And and that's not a slight on any of the playing staff. That's not a slight on Rafa. It, the the bottom line is, is we've got a championship team playing in the Premiership, and we're making mistakes that champ, championship players make. That makes the difference between championship and Premiership teams. We, we've caused our own downfall in so many games, and that's what happens when players are asked to play up above their level. Um, and we need that investment badly um it, it's not many either i don't think we're far away from having a very functional side um but as rafa keeps pointing out we are where we are because of what we did what we did i was going to say vicky you must you must sense it as within obviously in the media that it seems that nothing can it, the whole of the city is at a standstill and as soon as any news comes out it's unbelievable isn't it the amount of people yeah. that go on twitter and you know, talk about it. Like you have to go, you have to get involved in that sort of thing. You've got to go in there yeah, and yeah. talk to them. It, it must be, you know. I was going to say, as a in, in the job you've got, um, I was going to say, do you, do you have notes or, or do, you, do you just go on what you sense when when the in, when the person, the manager, comes up to you? Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I won't comment too much. I've, I do um, some work for the the Premier League uh, mm. with, with Newcastle, so. I'd, won't comment too much on the ins and outs, but certainly, as you say, Andrew, from a, a media perspective, it's, it's so interesting. Obviously, I'm kind of at home on Twitter following the journalists and mm. kind of chatting to different people. And as soon as any sort of news comes out, it, it absolutely erupts. I was at the press conference uh, where Rafa Benitez was speaking uh, before the West Brom game, and he made some comments. And immediately, it, it, it's so interesting, everything he says, people immediately are analysing and then what exactly did he mean and was this a veiled hint about that and I feel a bit sorry for him sometimes because obviously in a, in a press conference that's, that's 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes long and he is very engaging, he, he's not perfect, he gives extended answers, he will really engage with the journalists that are there but obviously in a, in a press conference you, you might say something in a a, a way that you're not perhaps particularly mm. careful on and I think actually as a manager he is very careful in the way he phrases things but one sentence that isn't meticulously planned immediately people kind of seize on and, and the example before the West Brom game was you know was the good news and the, after 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 the Everton game and, and people were kind of saying oh, what does this mean and what's that and everyone's <laughs> reading into it and I, sometimes I think Rafa does just you know make kind of general statements and for, for me Looking at that, I think he was just talking about, you know, the the transfer budget, and obviously everyone was saying, "What does this mean? The takeover is happening," and it's it's interesting from from a media perspective. And I wonder what he feels sometimes when he goes home and thinks, "Oh well, you know, did I mean it like that? Didn't I?" And now everyone's kind of said this, that, or whatever. But um, 
but yeah, it's, uh, it is very interesting from a media perspective. Steve, you must have, and Neil can answer it as well, but when he said that, I remember Lee Ryder come out with it and said, you know, that, that's what started the ball going, but I must admit, I didn't expect it. I think it was, was the day after, of, I can't remember, Vicky, was it the day after the, the game or the day of, the gay actual day of the game? I think it was, it was actually before Everton, if I'm remembering rightly. So um, I, th- I think it was the, yeah. the day before the game that he made the comment. And then obviously everyone was trying to analyse, well, what is, this, what is this good news? And mm. yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's an interesting situation. I don't know what Steve's take on it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was before the game. And, 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 and of course, going into a, a game like that, you know, against Everton where you know, we were expecting to hopefully get, a, a, you know, at least a result at home against a team which had been struggling previous to, you know, the, the, the new manager coming in. It, it did seem to, like, just cause, like, this mild hysteria and euphoria. And, you know, I, I do feel that the press, you know, have to have a little bit of a little bit of common sense when reporting on this. But we're all eager for news. There's a lot of journalists, you know, I'm talking about the print, you know, the, the printed press, as opposed to you know people in Vicky's position. But there needs to be a, de- a degree of control over what they write. Um, but they all want to break the story. That's understandable. Mm-hmm. They all want to be the person who says this is what this is what's going to happen, and you know they, they want to be the one who take the glory. But there's uh, you know there's going to be a few false dawns, I think, and um, you know that that proved to be the case before Everton, and it got you know it got everyone excited. Everyone thought the deal had been done, and we have to remember. There's a lot of there's a lot of people are making a lot of money out of this whole this whole predicament, you know. And I'm not talking media here. I'm talking about lawyers and PR people. Um, you know, we're not name names, but there's PR people on both sides of the fence. On you know, for PCP and for Mike Ashley, who you know are, are getting money uh, day by day. Um, you know, to to, to generate interest. It's, they've signed an, an NDA, PCP. We know that much, but um, you know, there's ways and means of getting the message out. And there's a lot of there's a lot of fear going on here as well. And, and of course, the lawyers are, are on big books, no matter what what they're doing, whether it's a, a you know a, the, the buying of a football club or whether it's a criminal case. Lawyers make their money, and uh, I think there's going to be a little bit more of this um, play before we get to the we we'll get to the end result. But there's obviously big worries I would have said on PCP side because at the moment we're talking about negotiating here um, the purchase of a Premier League club, but Newcastle United's now in the bottom three and. You know, Mike Ashley you know, needs to be really careful in, in the sense that, you know, this, this club, if there's no investment in January, won't be a Premier League club come May. And, you know, he may just lose the best opportunity he's ever had mm. to, to, to sell Newcastle United. And if he is genuine about getting out, and, you know, I'm led to believe that he is, he is very, very keen to get out. And, you know, he's talking about, move, you know, moving abroad, etc. And, and obviously investing in, you know, other other outlets such as Debenhams, etc. Then you know this is his big opportunity to get out. And you know, I would, I would, if I was, you know, given the opportunity to sit in front of Mike Ashley for five minutes, I would, I would shake his hand and say, look, thanks for everything you've done. You got the club back on a financial footing, which you know is credible, is credible, and, and and all credit to you, you know. Um, but you know, th- thanks for everything. But sell now while you can, and get and get your money while you can, because. With this team um, and this squad of players, we have no chance of, in my mind, I don't think we have no chance of, of surviving. And I, I do think this is his best chance of getting out. But, you know, getting back to the media, I just think, you know, they're just, you know, they're always going to report, 
you know, what they think is the story. And, um, you know, some people That's will be... That's it, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, you're always looking for a top line. And so of course you do. people are trying to analyse, you know, what that is. And I think, you know, the journalists obviously trying to do that objectively. They're not, they're not trying to create things that aren't there. But like you say, it's clear that the, the fans want news. Mike Ashley mm. has put the club up for sale. He wants to sell the club. So there is a, a feeling that, you know, people want this to move forward. So, But yeah. I, I think on the, on the process of the takeover as well, I mean, this is a multi-million pound deal that we're talking about and so everyone is so limited in in what they can actually say and I'm, I'd be stunned if Rafa Benitez started dropping hints about what was going on because this, this is a business transaction essentially at, at the end of the day and it, it needs to take place behind closed yeah. doors for all parties so that everyone and has to make like a deal that's made. And like you say, Rafa's very, very clever. Um, I, you know, I, you know, you watched Rafa, you know, prior to coming to Newcastle. He's always been very good at the psychological games, using the media to his advantage. And of course, let's not forget, he has been in similar positions at clubs where he's had to take on the owners and, and, and deal with these kind of circumstances. I think even this is probably something beyond, you know, beyond what he thought he would have to cope with with Mike Ashley. But if there's one, if there's one manager you would want in place to have to go through this scenario then it would be Rafa Benitez because he's been there, done it and got the T-shirt. And I think, um, you know, I think he can ride the storm out. And I think the other key factor is, and, you know, something which, uh, you know, I've obviously took umbrage with, with a particular journalist on Twitter this week um, with, with a particular article he put out. I think it was very, I think it was a naughty article to put out. Uh, I'm not going to obviously go into it on here, but, you know, anybody wanting to find out can go on Twitter. I'm not going to have a, you know, slanging match about the guy. But I just thought it was bang out of order what he did, you know, saying that there was a movement against Rafa Benitez. Now, there is no movement against Rafa Benitez. In fact, even, even though the statistics point in, in, you know, in the fact that this is the worst Premier League star we've had for forever, then you know, the, the, the fans are still behind Rafa because he stayed. He got us promoted at the first attempt when he could have left. And you know, the fans are still very much behind him. Are there murmurings? Yeah, you get the odd person on Twitter who probably has a go. You'll get the odd person who is frustrated on the match day in the crowd and might shout against him. But... You know, at Arsenal, I think we saw, you know, the, the away support backed Rafa to the hilt again like they had on Wednesday night, despite another defeat. And, you know, the only person that I heard a song of being shouted, you know, sang against at Arsenal was Mike Ashley. People want him to go. They want him to sell the club. Um, and, and they want a new owner in. And, uh, you know, it's, it's that kind of journalism again, which, 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 can annoy, which can annoy supporters. But I'm glad to say that my, my reaction was, was backed up by, you know, certainly most of the fans on, on social media, but a lot of fans who I've spoken to as well face-to-face. Yeah, I was going to say, Vicky, when, I suppose it, in, in your line, it's probably, it's because you, it is kind of wait and see anyway for you. You can, you can wait for it to, to you know, yeah. for whatever's going to happen. And then you can at least report and say, well, okay, uh, go into more in-depth and get, and get a really good chat with Rafa because he, in, in these interviews uh, afterwards, when he, meant, when he said that, I just, uh, I don't know how you took it, but when he came out and said what he said, it just, it just seemed joyous. He, he came across, just with the words that he used, is that he's a 100% invested in Newcastle, really wants it, and coming out with the words that he used, it's just a symbol of that, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, I mean, I can only speak from, from my interactions yeah. with him, but he's an incredibly pleasant person to deal with. You know, he's, he's like I said, he's expansive, he's, he's not terse. If he doesn't necessarily want to go into detail, then he won't, but he's always very polite in the way he does it. And it's so clear that he does have this, this huge connection with the fans that, that you saw at Liverpool as well. So, yeah, and from a media perspective, it's for, for broadcast 
which is predominantly what I work with, it is different. Obviously, when you're a member of the written press, you've got to essentially write a story every day. Certainly, the Chronicle yeah, do, and exactly. the Echo do, and the Shields Gazette do, because they obviously have to write about Newcastle and, and North East teams every day. I think the Nationals can be a little bit more picky about what they do, but you're always looking for another angle and another piece of news, whereas broadcast has the luxury of really being able to wait until something concrete and definite happens. And yes, like you were saying earlier, there is always that desire to get the story first, but for us it's certainly it's more important to wait and be a little bit further behind and actually tell everybody what the facts are, whereas the print journalists, they have the duty to go and sniff out the story and sniff out the exclusive, and they do sometimes get it ahead of us. So it's, it's kind of a, a trade-off, but certainly from my perspective as a broadcast journalist, it takes the pressure off a bit. I mean, we, we don't have to find a story every day and find a new angle and kind of interpret to death everything that he says. We can, we can just kind of wait and, and let things develop and then hopefully bring people the facts as and when but that would be very boring for fans if it was just us around you know you want you want the analysis you want the the comment pieces you want all of that from the papers so i think together it it, it works well and hopefully provides that service to fans and of course like steve was saying social media just gives a whole new angle to everything i think the one you probably uh, you probably uh, read uh, neil's articles uh when it when it comes to dubai because obviously he's mm. there and uh when, when he writes about it he he kind of says what along the lines of what Steve's saying about what it means, to, but it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Even though we're, we're dealing with lots millions and millions of pounds in 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 essence, it's <laughs> in Dubai. It's how much money you have, and you want to load it over people. So mm. when it comes to so, like I, I must not, say, not I, I, always, I didn't really and, Andrew, I'll temper that. There, there is, a, right. is a there is a bit of um, between the Gulf states mainly. You know, there is this little bit of my car's bigger, mm-hmm. faster, quicker than yours. My tower's got more floors than yours. My tower's got more elevators than yours. There is is an element of that here, um, but they like to play on that, and, th- and that was what I tried to get across in the second article I wrote. Was um, they like you to think that everything's done at the last minute on a handshake and an inshallah and everything's mm-hmm. going to be all right, and we're doing this by the seat of their pants. They do nothing by the seat of their pants. Nothing. And and it it it's I, I think it's quite plain. It, touching on what Steve said, really about about media and PR people, you know, pulling strings here and there because it's quite patent when Steve and I have talked in recent times. Um, we we are hearing similar things from different sources on either side of the 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 the, 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 the two sides of the, the the deal, so to speak, in terms of Dubai and the UK. Um, and things are being sort of seeped out here and there. Like, for example, when we spoke a month ago, why the hell did suddenly I was getting requests for newspaper articles, radio interviews here in Dubai on a Monday afternoon out of the blue? I've got one of my mates getting telephone calls off somebody attached to the Daily Star. You know, it, it, was, it was quite bizarre. Um, and, it, and that was all a prelude to another rumoured bid and rumoured this and rumour of that, you know. Um, it's, so there's all kinds of sort of wheels within wheels that we're trying to, to pull apart here. And sometimes I actually think we're reading too much into it because everybody, including you, dressed as a Belisha beacon with your binoculars on Barrack Road, wants to break the story. You know, and, and, and everybody, everybody, yeah, you know, everybody wants to be the one that says, look, it's happening, guys. You know what I mean? 
I was going to suggest you know, Vicky, when eventually when it happens, you must be, after, mm. you you will you'll probably be very excited because, with especially with um, Amanda, to me anyway, it comes across as very engaged, and like every, every article I've read and uh, lots of videos and stuff like that. Um, do you think? Could you imagine yourself um, once once it does happens, you heading off to Dubai? Do you think they'll send you there? Well, I'd be love that. It, for you. <laughs> it absolutely would. I could uh, drop in and see Neil. But uh, yeah, no, well, um, the Premier League does a lot of broadcasting uh, kind of out there as well. And so, so, yeah, I think, I mean, it's always great what, whatever sort of access you get. I mean, part of being part of the broadcast media is that you do get these chances to have these sit-down interviews and stuff. And obviously, it's great to do that. So, if, you know, if, if it was Amanda Stavely who did come in or, or anybody, yeah, it'd be... It'd be great to have a have a chat with them, and but that's that's the good thing about the access that you do get in this day and age of broadcast media to managers as well, and managers and players. And we are incredibly fortunate that we do get the opportunity to sit down with Rafa Benitez a couple of times a season and have an in-depth interview. And yeah, it's it's, it's great access. And I think what what I found helpful as well, being based up in Newcastle and working with the North East teams and Sunderland and Middlesbrough and Newcastle. You build up a relationship, and mm. that's so integral to getting stories and getting good interviews because we're all just human beings in the end. And if you know somebody and you trust them and mm. you're not slightly suspicious of, oh, are they just trying to get a line out of me or a story mm. out of me, it can actually make for a better working relationship. And it's been, I've enjoyed that this season, particularly with Newcastle being back in the Premier League and working with them on that level, just getting to know Rafa Belitez a little bit. And now when I... When I come into the room, he'll, he'll recognise Keith Downey, obviously, he's always there for Sky, and, and then me as well. And you get a sense that over time, managers will start to trust you a little bit more as they see that you're not reporting them unfairly and you're not trying to stitch them up or anything. So mm-hmm. I think that's, been, that's the positive thing about staying in a particular geographic area. And of course, the North East, we all know the passion that it has for football, the identity that football has up here. And again, I think if you can use that as, as, as a journalist and really buy into that, then it's in good stead. And then you get good content for the listeners, which is what it's all about. Yeah, I was going to say, when, when you saw Steve's, uh, Steve <laughs> in the in Newcastle's crowd next to Amanda Stavely, that must have given you a chuckle. Did you call him? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't. Sorry, Steve, no. <laughs> uh-huh, well, but I'm sure it was an enjoyable afternoon. <laughs> I, wasn't take, I wasn't taking any calls that day, put it this way. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, Andrew, I think once you get your finances sorted with this radio programme, I think it, once the deal's done, I think if you can pay for me and Vicky to go and meet Neil and Amanda out in Dubai, that would be really good of you. <laughs> Yeah, we could do a special, couldn't we, on the road? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the worst thing. Very, very good restaurant at the foot of the Burj, Al- Burj Khalifa that we did. Superb, because the table. I'm sure Andrew will sort it out. <laughs> well, I think, Andrew, I think Andrew's budget could stretch to that because he seems to be going to Germany quite a bit. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he could pay for that. I'm at, actually, my breaking news is I'm going to Germany, as you know, Vicky, as everybody always said. But I've actually just found out today I'm going to be off work for three to six months with my feet. So, oh right, okay. Yeah, well, so that's an absolute nightmare scenario. I'm going, to, but I'm going to Australia before that happens. So um, I've had foot issues for years, unfortunately. But uh, I'm fifth. I'm nearly fifty, you see. So I've, I've finally got to do something about it. Mouth, yeah. What's that? Is it because they're stuck in your mouth? 
<laughs> hey, Neil, Steve knows me better than anybody, so whatever you think of me, it's different to what actually is in reality. Well, I hope that all gets sorted out, Angie. Yeah, yeah hopefully. I, I was gonna a, say, actually, it's a family show, I'm not making any comment on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, if the key, that what, Andrew is going to Germany for sausage, that's what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen me, Vicky, when I was there. I was, dance, I was dancing really well because I do dance very, very well. And um, excellent. Steve started taking pictures. David Brent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I got propositioned actually to grind. I was. To, I can't go into that bit anyway. But uh, <laughs> and I didn't quite know what to do. <laughs> That's the worst thing about it. But yeah. I, I, one question I was going to ask you uh, when it comes to well, obviously the takeover, but when it comes to interviewing techniques like I watched that guy talk to Jürgen Klopp the other week I don't know what yeah and I'll you can tell me that and I'll ask her what what Stephen Neil thought about it but because I just thought that was as close to on the knuckle as you can get in an interview yeah it's a very interesting balance I mean I think as an interviewer you always want to be fair you also are under pressure when you're doing interviews for example for match of the day you often, you've, you've, if you've, for example, been doing final score, you kind of leg it down from the press box, which can be very high up in the stand, and you, you run down and, and the manager can be there very quickly. And obviously it's your job to be able to cope with that pressure, but you're also thinking very quickly about, okay, what do I need to ask? So it's quite a pressure situation. I think always the question, depending on who you're working for as well, there are certain companies, the BBC obviously, to try and be very objective. They would push things a little bit. Perhaps I think Sky would do that as well. Mm. Local radio would have another angle and agenda, and then other national and international broadcasters would. So you've got to be mindful of who you're working on on the day. And I think that can be difficult for managers because I don't think they have that distinction. So you could turn up with one hat on one week and one hat the next week and the line of questioning might be slightly different, but I think the thing that's always been important for me is growing up as a footballer to my team and my team. The only people that can ask those questions are the journalists in that short interview, whether that's print or radio or TV or whatever. Mm. And I just remember growing up as a fan, often shouting at the radio, saying, but why haven't you asked them about this? Why haven't you asked them about that? And I think... It's a difficult balance because, and Steve mentioned it earlier, social media, you can get whirlwind created on social media with fans that you can't necessarily then go and put that to the manager. It's kind of been whipped up into a frenzy, but there are perhaps ways of phrasing something that the fans are getting very irate about in a way that the manager will then answer. I think the other question as well is, how can you ask a question in a way that isn't just going to get a straight denial? So there might be a sense in which you're doing your job if you ask a difficult question, but if you know immediately that the manager is just going to bat it back, okay, that's, you know, you've done it, you've done your job, but you haven't actually got an answer for the fans. So is there a way that you can maybe couch it in a slightly more diplomatic way or come at it from a different angle? And I think that's something I've learned being in the industry, that as a, as a fan, before I was a journalist, I wouldn't have appreciated it. I would have said, well, why do you just ask him straight out what's happening here? So I think trying to do all that, you know, with 30 seconds prep and could be off a difficult result or something like that, it, it's a challenge, but 
I love it. It's one of my favourite parts of the job because I feel very privileged to be able to do that. And as a fan, I know how rewarding it is when you hear an interviewer ask a decent question. You think, oh, finally, someone's asked us about that. But also how frustrating it is when we get it wrong, and we do get it wrong sometimes. I think... Uh, Steve, do you want to join me before I say something else? No, no, you go for it. You go for it. I, I was going to say that the, the problem is there's differences between... Like, I noticed... Uh, when he did that interview with Klopp, this is the the print media. Even though, even though they got it wrong last week, you'll never see that person turn round in the paper the next day and say, uh, "I got it wrong," or even tweets afterwards that I got it wrong. In the yours is your well, I suppose because it's a, a viral thing. If just say you have an interview with somebody and it's it's a really good one, it's really juicy, like. I must be. I used to always, I used to always kind of listen for Pardew because he always came across that he was the easiest one in the world to get. Like the, it, it depends on how you worded the question, doesn't it? But it's a balancing act because you've got essentially you've got to get to know them and still get, you know, the, the things that people want to listen to. Yeah. And I think as well that, yeah, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about mm. the more that you know somebody. So, for example, if I'm, I'm doing a Newcastle game for the BBC mm. and I turn up and it happened actually in, in the championship, the game where Matt Ritchie had the penalty disallowed and oh, it wasn't yeah, allowed to be retaken and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that was Rafa being Rafa was very diplomatic afterwards and wouldn't be drawn on it. But again, I think it helped that we knew each other because I'd done 10 championship games at Newcastle the BBC that season so again it just puts you in in good stead if you do have a difficult situation to be able to, to try and draw something out of them but at the same time I think and particularly with broadcast and TV would be a big part of this that mm-hmm. it is very difficult to come out and, and I was at Anfield the other night for the BBC and, and Klopp mentioned this in his program notes, kind of <laughs> mentioning that interview that he did yeah. with Sky and talking about how partly it was because that the emotion was still so high, and, and they do, they have a certain time limit managers afterwards in which they have to complete their broadcast interviews, and it's not very long after the final whistle, and so obviously that's good for the broadcasters, and it's good for the fans, and, and that's a good thing, but at the same time, I think we have to remember as fans that managers are potentially, they haven't had time to go and calm themselves mm. down about an incident or something that's happened in the game, so again, you're trying to manage all those emotions whilst also getting a good answer for somebody and yeah but like I said sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't yeah I was going to say Steve because in the line you're working you're, you're looking to get the you know the, the media interested in what you're doing so that that should help you in the future with other you know because essentially you're now you're now you're back to being a football agent as well right yeah I mean yeah I do a lot of things I spin a lot of plates you know I, I mean you know I'm used to dealing with the media um you know I've got a good relationship with certainly with the local media and the national media so it just depends who I'm working with I, obviously I work in both fields I work in professional boxing and I work in in professional football and it you know professional football and being an agent is very much an infancy I've got you know uh, three players that I look after but the boxing world you know obviously I'm an old uh, an old hand at the professional boxing world but then again you know as a, as a pub Publisher, having your own publishing company and doing books for, you know, whether it's ex-footballers or, or former criminals, you know, I've I, I've used the media for that. I've, you know, I, by my own admission, I've been a self-publicist for years. But it, it's it's about being able to use the media 
and you have to know how to play the game. And it's very, it's, it's very much the same for, for managers. You know, managers of football mm-hmm. clubs, it's it's the same, it's the same, uh, exactly the same strategy that they use that I use. And you have to play the game. You can't you can't court the media one day and then shut yourself off from media the next. And likewise, when you know six six seven months ago, when I was banned from you know from being a football agent for six months, got an FA an FA ban. Um, I was, you know, I was the, you know, I was covered. It was covered in the paper by a local journalist. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, he rang me up and he asked me for a quote, so I gave him one, exactly the same as I would have given him a quote if he didn't bring this about and putting on in the locality. And you know, I didn't, I didn't hold it against the journalist for ringing this up and asking. I mean, I didn't have anything to hide. I'd been, you know, I'd been banned, and, and that was it. So, you know, from my perspective, you have to him, and you know, it does make me laugh that when you see. I think I think probably the one you you would pick out the most is Jose Mourinho. You know, you you, you look at the way that he reacts to if new, if Manchester United are winning every game and the top of the league, he has this smug arrogance where he stands mm-hmm. back and oh yeah, well you know it, it's you know you, you you know that he's saying it's all down to me and I'm the special one. You have to remember that's how he announced himself when he came into the UK. Mm-hmm. But now when things aren't going quite as well for him, there's this there's this you know the arrogance and. There's this, there's this character which people, he, he, it's the tables have turned on him, and it, and the way that he deals with the media, I think, is quite disrespectful. I might be wrong that he might say something completely different. She's probably been in that situation where she's had to interview um, Jose, but th- that's the impression that comes across from his interviews on Sky Match of the Day, etc. He can't take defeat. He doesn't take defeat well, and on more than one occasion, he's chose to walk off. Uh, you know, from from an interviewer for the Bastard question, which is particularly difficult, and it, it's one of those things. You have to take the rough with the smooth. Not everything's going to go your way, and it's how you deal with that. And inside, you might be feeling as if the work, you know, you might be feeling really angry, and you, you might want to say one thing, but the way you the way you conduct yourself on camera or when there's an interview, a microphone in front of you, that's you know, you have to make sure that your your character's still going across in the same way. That's the way I am. That's not the way Jose is. Yeah, it must be difficult, Vicky, because you're, you're at the shop end. You're having to stand there and think. Is it, have you got a technique? Do you, do you, when you talk to them, do you do you like have the microphone there in front, or do you, do you head your head down and then just talk? I think um, for me, it's always about trying to be as personable as possible. And I think what Steve's saying is that you want to be yourself as well. So I mm. think generally, I'm, I'm quite a friendly person, and obviously, it's a, it's a professional interaction that you're having when you're when you're interviewing somebody but always shake someone's hand you know how you're doing I and some sort of comment on the result the shoes, obviously the you know shoes. they're just lost <laughs> <laughs> that's the best one normally the, the best one I would think was the shoes just say oh yeah where'd you get them from three and a quid oh oh no <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah I and mean, just just try and be as natural as possible simple things like stick to time you know I think I've got I went over earlier in the season with the uh, uh, Arsene Wenger, who was very, very polite, but if you, mm. you forget where you are in the packing order. That that day I was doing radio, and obviously with telly you get a bit more time. And uh, yes, <laughs> I kind of realised that as well, I probably shouldn't have gone on that long. But you know, I have to say, and you know, I've, I've interviewed Mourinho several times uh, in the past for BBC London. Again, I can only speak from my experience that I enjoyed interviewing him. I think he's he's fair. If he doesn't like a question, he will he will clarify or he'll disagree. But again, found him to be polite and engaged and I guess I think you can only kind of relate to, to what you've experienced but yeah I think we are all trying to be in the same industry and sometimes the managers are on one side and we're on the other but I think generally if, if you conduct yourself 
professionally and as I say if they know you it's just easier because I remember an interview that uh, almost infamous interview that Mick Lowe's did with Alan Pardew after Newcastle lost at Southampton and Mick had such a good relationship with Alan Pardew and had really built that up and actually I know sometimes people kind of question that and are you asking the difficult difficult questions but from having worked with him as well at BBC Newcastle I think only Mick perhaps could have done that interview because I think Pardew knew that Mick on a day-to-day basis was, was a fair interviewer and they got on well. And actually Mick had almost earned the right to really, really challenge Alan Pardew after that result. And I remember editing it at BBC Newcastle and thinking, <laughs> wow, Mick's really gone for it. <laughs> but it was good. And I think, again, it's that relational balance between if you're doing that every week to a manager and you just think about what the line of work you were in, if somebody is constantly and publicly criticising your performance, yes, on one level, you're a football manager and that's your job to be able to defend your decisions. But as a human being, it's quite difficult. And so, again, it's finding that balance of, okay, when do I ask this really difficult question? At what point? Do I ask it every week? Do I ask it now? Do I ask it then? And, and that's our job to, to do as journalists. And, again, you won't always get it right, and you might get it right, and somebody might get annoyed anyway. But I, I thought that, for me, I'm kind of in my infancy as a journalist, that was an interesting interview to listen to and thinking actually yeah Mick Mick's put himself in a position where he can ask those very very difficult questions of of Alan Pardew and and I think from what I remember Alan answered them all in a way that he wouldn't have perhaps done if it was somebody that he didn't know because then you're thinking well what angle have you got here and are you just trying to stitch me up sort of thing. It's not a good balance isn't it uh, Steve because as, as Ziggy says there you've got to build up a rapport with them but you want to drag it out of them and especially Pardew um, you know, God, he divided the club for years, didn't he? But uh, that's the problem. You've got to you've got to do both sides of the ball. And I, I think with the with the take, obviously with the takeover, in in stealing it as we as we as we said tonight already, it's 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 with talking to Rafa. If the with the results going and if they continue, it's it's going to be bad. It's going to be, you know, everybody's going to be looking forward to January. But the problem is, in January, we don't even um, don't even know how much money he's got. Must Look, we'll, we could wake up tomorrow morning, Andrew, and everything could be done and dusted. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a situation we're in. Yep. We've got four games coming up over the Christmas period, which are difficult games on paper at this moment in time. However, with, with, a, with, you know, with, without black and white tinted glasses on, Newcastle United aren't playing the worst football that I've ever seen. I've seen a lot worse teams in black and white shirts over the years than this current crop of players. However, they're suffering a, they're suffering a massive loss in confidence. And what they need is they need, they need that result to turn things round. I thought we got it at West Brom, 2-2, you know, we came back, a bit of fighting spirit. On reflection, we should have got three points against Everton. Two cracking shots had hit the bar, would have changed that game and would have been three points in the bag. Richie hit the bar against Bournemouth. If that had gone in, it would have been a different story again. So we've been unlucky. We went to Arsenal. Everybody expected us to come away with a 3 or 4 nil drubbing at Arsenal. We went down there, we gave a great account of ourselves. We lost to a spectacular goal. We've got four games coming up now. One of them we can write off because, you know, Manchester City, we're not expecting not anything sure. from that at home. However, never say never. you always got a chance. It's 11 against 11, you know, unless John Joe Shelby gets sent off. But it, it's, it's 11 against 11. You've got a chance against Man City. But before that, we've got West Ham at the weekend. West Ham, you know, they're not, they're not Real Madrid. They're not PSG. It's West Ham. And 
David Moyes is in charge. He's just gone in. Yes, he's had a cracking result at the weekend, but we've got a chance against West Brom. It's a six-pointer. It's a pivotal game of the season. Newcastle need to go there and give a good account of themselves and get a win. Man City coming up after that, you know, we're not expecting anything out of it. Anything's a bonus. And then, you know, we, you know we've, got, we've got Brighton at home. Now, Brighton at home is another winnable game. Mm. And, and at the moment, the bottom of the table is so tight. If you win one game, you go up to 12th place. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's mm. not over. The season doesn't finish in December. The season finishes in May. Rafa Benitez has got a chance in January, hopefully with backing, whether it's from Mike Ashley, whether it's from PCP. He's going to be given some money of some description, and he's also going to have the opportunity of bringing in players on loan. Him and his team will be doing their work now. I'm sure he'll bring the right players in in January to, to, to affect our season. Rafa is, is notoriously good at the end of the season. He always has a good run in. He always gets his team firing on all cylinders. But he needs the backing in January, and if he gets the backing in January by whoever's in charge, then I guarantee you we won't be struggling. We won't be at the bottom of the table. But it's going to be an interesting time. And you know, I, I, I personally, I personally do believe that you know, you know, Rafa will get us out of this mess that, that we're in currently. Yeah, well, hope let's hope so. Eh? In the future, um, I think. Um, I was going to actually, but when it comes, it's interesting, isn't it, Dicky? Uh, when it comes to Moyes, that the difference he's he's gone through uh, since the, the the other clubs that he's he's had in the future, he looks reborn down there, doesn't he? Yeah, he's doing incredibly well. I think uh, what what Steve said as well about just how tight the table is mm. um, is really interesting because that's the thing, and we see it in the Championship as well. I mean, obviously Sunderland have, have struggled so much this season and. Uh, ran into Chris Coleman actually on a plane the other day, which is rather bizarre. He very kindly moved his coat so I could put my uh, my suitcase above him. But it's one of those double take moments when you kind of say, "Oh, is there anyone's coat?" And then the person in front turns around and you think, "I recognise you. Oh, it's Chris Coleman." So, um, but yeah, he he seems to be doing a good job since he's gone in as well. And obviously, with that win, taking them out of the relegation zone. And, and I think it's. It's something that, that the Newcastle players when I've interviewed in the season have alluded to themselves, that, you know, it is, it's so tight. And Rafa Benitez was talking about it at his press conference ahead of the weekend as well, that the, the top of the table is going to be very tight in its own little mini-league and, and the bottom of the table as well. So I think Steve's right that it is a season where a lot of clubs will be involved around the bottom of the table and it, it could go right down to the wire and we'll just have to see what happens. But certainly as an adopted northeaster it would be great to see northeast football doing well again in Middlesbrough and, and Sunderland and Newcastle yeah I was going to say because it, it, Steve is interesting with Chris Coleman he, he comes across as very affable and you would you want them to you know people I know, I know Sunderland and Newcastle aren't the tightest but when, it, when, it, when you look at both of those uh, personalities you can imagine you can imagine it, if Sunderland get up and we stay up it could be quite a, a, an interest interesting um, competitive uh, goal between Newcastle and Sun. I was going to say I bumped into Chris Coleman as well it was at the oh, uh, Sunderland it was at Sunderland oh he's nice isn't he <laughs> it, was, it was at the Sunderland Player of the Year Awards um, it was a rollover <laughs> tumbleweed <laughs> uh, anyway that, that is copyright Joe Allen by the way that's one of Joe Allen's best tools um but listen, the derbies, the derbies could be back on if you know, it, you know, worst case scenario happened. Newcastle, Newcastle were relegated. Yeah, I mean, it could happen. But I, I genuinely don't think a Sunderland will get promoted, and I don't think b Newcastle will get relegated. So, you know, we may well get them in a, we may well get them in the, you know, the the FA Cup if both get past the 
the ties, but I, I can't see it. I can't see it. I think um, I think at the moment we're miles apart, and you know, if if the takeover goes through, you know, as we expect it to, then you know, we we'll maybe the, the gulf may be even wider. But you know, as I said right at the start of the show, you know, it's a it's a bit like looking at the the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, the, you know, at the moment, Sunderland are, are what what we could be in twelve months' time if things mm-hmm. don't go according to plan. And I hope it doesn't come to that. Um, and I, you know. I, I am a Newcastle fan. I want to see Newcastle above Sunderland, but I always like to see them in the same division. I'd love to see, you know, I'd love to see them in the Premier League, going, you know, going head to head again um, at some point. But I don't think that will be next season. That's for certain. What do you think of uh, Chris Coleman, uh, Neil? He, he's brought an interesting demographic for, um, for Sunderland. And obviously, now was, they've got their first win. You, you know what I said? It was, it was an interesting move all all around, and probably said more about the FA of Wales than it did. Uh, about the appeal of Sunderland, as far as I'm concerned, and um, you can describe it as many things, but it's 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 a it's a challenge wrapped in an enigma, and it's and it's a sad state of affairs. I've been talking to a, a couple of red and white fans today about the situation they're in, and um, it's it's grim. And I mean, first year, first home win in a, in a calendar year. Um, doesn't yeah. even bear thinking yeah. about. Doesn't even bear thinking about Andrew, mm-hmm. um, and it's a, it's a shocker. We should both be up there, you know, having a go, giving it giving a big licks with with you know. I'm not d- demanding that we're both up there, getting Champions League places or anything like that, but we should be at least scaring the bloody living daylights out with some of those teams, mm-hmm. and we're not. We're, but we're both a little bit of a laughing stock, but them. In particular, and it's it's um, it, I think it'd be interesting to see what you know has he give them something to now build on, um, or are they going to do what they seem to have done sort of for the last two almost three years up the ladder and down the snake? Mm-hmm. Um, I think their ownership situation isn't clear. Their ownership's commitment isn't clear. Um, what kind of transfer budget is Chris Coleman going to be working with in January? Who knows? I don't, um, think, he'll, I don't think he'll have one, Neil. I think, I think no, it's very much a it. case of you Absolutely. have to sell the buy down at Sunderland. And I think, um, you know, Ellis Short's made that quite clear, you know, and, that and, you don't and have any money got, and that's it. You've got Bournemouth talking about taking the, the top scorer <laughs> oh back. God, can you imagine? You know, uh, that would be a real, you know, kick in the short and curlies for, for them. Mm. And, uh, and it... it, it <sighs> You know, there but for the grace of God, and I, and I do not want to see us follow them there. Thank you very much. I think he uh, goes, it's a path we could have walked. Comes across a nice fellow. He seems to have the hunger. It uh, was a bit of a surprise that he came to Sunderland, especially from Wales. Um, but he seems to have that oomph that uh, Rafa's got, doesn't he? Comes across that way. He does, yeah. And I have to say, I was very impressed uh, on the side. It was my mum who vaguely follows football and said, oh, did he used to manage Fulham? I was like, mum, how have you remembered that? <laughs> and these bizarre random football facts. But yeah, no, I, I think he, and he seems very, very keen to be there and, and really engaged with the job. And I, I was really surprised that it didn't work out for the final race. And I thought he did a really cracking job at Preston and, and thought that was that was a decent appointment. But yeah, I think uh, Chris Combs is certainly somebody who clearly wants to get his teeth back into domestic football. And yeah, it'll be interesting to, to see how he does. But certainly, as you say, to get that that monkey off their back in terms of the, the home record was, was so important. And just 
psychologically to do it before the end of the calendar year. Even if they'd done it at the start of January, it wouldn't have had the same impact. So just to do that, and then you can draw a line, as it were, in 2017 and say, right, let's get forward into 2018 and mm-hmm. send the division firstly in and then see how, how near we can get to the playoffs. Well, at least apparently, you know, it's, it's apparently, Andrew, apparently, Andrew, Northumbria police are investigating um, whether the pound coin that was thrown on the pitch against him was a missile that was thrown or whether it was a genuine take of a bid. <laughs> Again, that's another okay. Joel and Copyright, that sounds like a Joel special lap, Jesus. I thought I'd throw, throw that one in as well, seeing as it was Christmas. <laughs> remember, remember, Vicky, what Steve said? If Newcastle get taken over, you're, you're, you're going to be front and centre of the chat with Amanda Stavely. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. He did yeah, say that. He did say that, remember? <laughs> yeah, courtesy of Andrew Davis's uh, bank balance. Yeah. I think for the women's, uh, you know, I wouldn't say the movement, but for somebody, oh, there's only one woman in the Premier League as chairman, and that is Karen Brady, right? That's mm. the only one? Yeah, there might, be, there might be some more on board somewhere. I'm not sure of the exact... Uh, the exact kind of makeup of the boards, but certainly Karen Brady is definitely the most high profile one. But you know, the, the one thing I've noticed again, obviously the field you got into, was it a conscious effort just to go on radio and not TV? Because obviously on radio, you know, you, you know, so <laughs> there's so many people out on the radio, but is it a, was it a conscious thing to go into, go into radio? Because obviously you got, there's a bit of a difference from going from radio, you could have been journalism, couldn't it? You could have went to, is that mm. where you wanted, is that, what made you want to go into that, or did you did you listen to? Was there anybody in particular that um, that motivated you to to want to go into radio? Because I've when I look on um, radio, it's Jack. I remember Jackie Oatley started that. Didn't I think she started mm-hmm. that level? Yeah, started a radio uh, lead. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, when you look at um, and Janine Self, because she's been on the show, um, it's it for me. It's you know. It, when you look across the board, like you watch BT Sport, for example, mm. uh, or even the halftime shows, right? Uh, you, there's only one woman I've seen on BT Sport. It doesn't seem to be with diversity. That's why when I saw Steve at, at the ground with Amanda and his dad and everything like that, the one thing that struck me is that it would just be a, it would send a great message to the to kids, especially uh, you know and entrepreneurs, to think, well, you know. If, She's got to where she's got by because she knows the right people. It'll it'll further bring on ladies in the future, because I still think there's a dearth of um, there's not enough women on TV uh, or radio uh, currently. Maybe because of the market they're in. Mm. I mean, it's it's really interesting. I mean, I I love Jackie Oatley. I've been fortunate to to get to know her a bit over the last couple of years and mm. I think now as a, as a journalist I really look up to, to, to women like her. I think Alison Mitchell who does TMS yeah. cricket for the BBC as well is absolutely brilliant and I think now as a journalist I've become more conscious of that. To be honest as a, as a football fan I mean the first thing I wanted to do was the England manager. I wanted to be England manager when I was eight, you know, and, and of the men's team and because I like watching England and, and so I think I, I wanted to go into football journalism and I was inspired to go into football journalism by my love of football really, <laughs> rather than being female journalist and, and, and I, I get how that is an inspiration and I'm, I'm absolutely 100% that does inspire me now from a professional point of view but I don't think as a young child I was looking for that I just thought well I like football and, and I think 
I've never really thought of myself as a, a female football fan or a female football journalist because I don't walk around thinking of myself as a female. Like, I'm, I'm just me. And so, mm-hmm. so I think there was, it, yes, going into the industry that it's very encouraging to, to meet women who are doing it. But I don't think I ever questioned whether I could do it because I was a woman. I, mm-hmm. The answer was, well, I can do it because I'm a football fan. So mm-hmm. that was... That was the qualifier. It, it wasn't. It was never a gender thing. It was do I like football? And I think what's interesting is you still. I still occasionally, having done this job, thirty-two work experience in local radio, and obviously now, thankfully, getting paid for it, uh, which I still go to matches and think this is ridiculous to get paid to do this. This is just amazing. But um, but over, you know, so having been in the industry or round and about the industry for ten years, I do still get people asking me, "So do you like football then?" You know, and they find out what I do, and I'm like, no, I love shoes, actually. That's what I really want to write. About. No, and I think there is that part of me that just thinks, would, would you ask them, if you met, you know, Martin Tyler or Guy Mowbray, mm. or you know, something, obviously, I'm nowhere near that level, but if you met somebody, or just, you know, somebody writing for the Chronicle, you know, or, or a local paper, and they were a football writer, if they were a man, would you say, do you like football? Well, no, I don't think you would. I think you'd assume that if you're the football writer, you do. And I don't, it doesn't doesn't offend me that much I think it's you know obviously it's surprising it's still unusual to be honest when I go into a press room and there's other women in there I go oh right you know that is unusual so it's just um I remember somebody at Middlesbrough once when I was there for, for final score they some some fans who were on some sort of tour came up afterwards and were kind of all oh, right well what are you doing and I said oh I've been I've been working on the match and they said oh I'm not doing the stats and I said no, no, reporting on the match, you know, and oh, who's that for? For the BBC. And then the chat says, well, what's it like then, you know, being a woman in football? And I said, well, okay, answer me honestly, were you surprised that I was reporting on the match rather than just essentially producing on the match? And he said, he talked about it, and he said, yeah, I think I was, yeah. And then he said, maybe that says more about me, though, about <laughs> you. And I thought, yeah, maybe. But, but is that, you know, it is surprising. It is a perfectly natural assumption to make. But you do sometimes come across it still. And oh, there's nothing malicious in it at all. But it, it, it does remind you sometimes that, yeah, you are doing something that, that's a bit unusual. But for the most part, I don't think about it. I, I like football, and that's why I do what I do. <laughs> did did um, Steve had his office party the other day, which I obviously rocked it when I got there. But um, <laughs> did you get the email? Did you get the email from his staff that there was a, an actual event at Revolutions? Because he sent the message to five hundred people, and did you get an email regarding the no, party? No, where's my invite, Steve? Where's my invite, Steve? But to <laughs> well, be fair, Steve, Steve and I have only met a couple of times. I would not expect oh, any right, Christmas okay. list just yet to be. To be on, to be honest, to, 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 be honest Vicky, to be honest, Vicky, I know how I know how difficult it is for you to come onto this show with Andrew without actually seeing him face to face. So actually meeting him face to face, but honestly, I didn't want to ruin your Christmas. And, and, and if there's one person who's got a face for radio, it's Andrew Davis. <laughs> what what Steve fails to mention, and he, I have to tell you, Vicky, on and, and Neil as well, he actually introduced me to a lot of people in his group, right? And he said, this is the guy that came back to England and couldn't get back into America because he came back for his sister's wedding. That's how he was telling everybody who I was, and he was and he was actually laughing when he was saying it. How 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 indiscreet is that? Well, I'll tell you what, I, at least I, I, a few other ways I could have introduced you, Andrew, but I didn't. 
<laughs> well, that was know, the most diplomatic, was it? It yeah. was very diplomatic, believe me. Very, very diplomatic. And when he was doing his David Brent dancing, I'm, you know, <laughs> that was that. But uh, yeah, it was. It was. It was certainly an occasion. It was certainly an occasion to remember. It was good to see Andrew. Oh, thank you, I, 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 you too. It was. It, it, I must admit, it's like. Um, well, that's the thing. Being being in the media, it's like. Uh, what's what's the plan? What's the plan for you, Vicky, in the future? Are you, are you going to stick? Are you going to stick to radio, or is there any ways and means to to look into cricket as well? Are you looking to do? Are you, do, are you, do, you, do you want to do everything? Oh, cricket? No way. I don't know. I got asked by BBC Sorry to do a cricket match about eight years ago, and I said, guys, you don't want me doing cricket on it. Absolutely nothing about it. Um, I love radio. I, I love the immediacy of it. I think I grew up listening to, to Five Live, and so it, it really is a dream for, for me to work with them as well, and also working in the Premier League is great. Um, I'd love to do more radio commentaries. I've had the opportunity mm-hmm. to do a couple this season, which has been brilliant, and there is something about describing the action. I've the number, Again, and it comes from the passion that I had growing up as a fan. You know, you're sitting in the car, and you're totally reliant on that commentator, because if you're driving, then... Obviously, you're not watching the TV and just the, the joy that you feel when a goal goes into your team and the privilege of being able to describe that to mm. people and bring that passion across. So, yeah, that's, I love that about radio commentary. I've done a bit of telly. It's very, very difficult. It's quite different as well. It's, if you put it in newspaper context, it would be more feature writing than kind of your hard news because obviously everything, everyone can see what's going on. So you've mm. got to find a way to enhance your description of that. And if you listen to commentators like Steve Bauer and Steve Wilson and Guy Mabry and Martin Tyler, they mm. they do it so effortlessly. Let me tell you, when you actually try and do it, <laughs> they make it mm. sound a lot easier than it is. So I certainly wouldn't say no to that. I've enjoyed that experience as well. But I have to say at the moment, I, I adore radio and, and, and love the commentary side of things. So we shall see. But as long as it involves football, I think uh, I think I'll be happy. Yeah, I was going to say, was was how long was Nick Nick Laws at, at uh, BBC Newcastle? He was there for was it twenty years? It was twenty. Yeah, it, was, it might have been twenty five. It 25, was definitely yeah. twenty or over. Yeah, very long like, time. The thing is, do you remember the? I don't know if Neil or Steve will remember this because they're in my age group. But well, especially Neil. But um, when remember the days, it was like it's a goal. What that was replaced. That 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 seemed to have gone somewhere. I remember I used to. Used to grow up to grow up with that, you know, you hear that on the radio, and then you would it would it, it really got the, the blood pump, and that that seems to have gone from the from the commentaries anymore, you know, like just to update your type when they when they when they yeah, I remember, I remember it, I remember that, I'm old enough to remember that, and it was oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was good, it was good, but yeah, I think the commentary's great. I you know I enjoy listening to Vicky. I think um you know I, I did enjoy listening to Mick Lowe's. I think because he was there, he almost became he was like. I'm old enough, and I know you lads ought to remember like Charles Harrison. Charles Harrison, yeah, was yeah. The vo- he was the he was the voice of Newcastle United on Metro Radio, and you know these people, especially when you're young and you, you can't go to the match. These are the people you you, you grew up with. Now yeah. now people grew up with the likes of Martin Taylor, mm. you know, etc. And John John Motson was part of our childhood growing up, you know, and I'm sure you know the likes of John Motson and that inspired Vicky. So it, it is good because you know we. we we can't always be at the game. We can't always be plunked in front of a television. You know, we've all got lives outside of 
go on a watch board and mm-hmm. you know these people are very important in our lives because you know you, you want uh, you want to hear what's going on I, I enjoy listening to the chat shows I enjoy coming on this every now and then but I, I also I like think... listening to Total I enjoy I, I do like listening to Total Sport it drives you up the wall with some of the people mm-hmm. who go on there and some of the opinions but that's that's what the program's designed to do I do enjoy 606 it's always been it's always been great to listen to and I'm not a huge fan of um, talk sport, but there's, there's one or two people who I like to hear on there. So there's loads of shows, there's loads of choice. You don't have to listen to everything. But these, you know, people like Vicky, et cetera, do a great job in, 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 in you know, describing what's going on. And I, I like to think I've got a wide range of, of enjoyment in different sports and, you know, the, the, the highlight of your calendar year if, mm. if you have the opportunity to sit down and watch Sports Personality of the Year like I did last night. And what a great program it is. I mean, obviously I had a few mm. glitches last night, but it's just great to watch it because... You know, and there's nothing more that gets a lump in your throat than, than watching, you know, when, when you watch how many people, sadly, you know, you've lost during the year. And that it's always and poignant. And what a tribute to Bradley Lowry as well. It was Sorry, lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, and I mean, it's a Newcastle. It's a Newcastle fan. You know, it, you know, we, you know you, I think it was a great coming together when we lost, mm. um, when we lost our, you know, our two supporters on MH, you know, flight mm. MH17. Sunderland fans back us, but I think we reciprocated mm. with the whole Bradley Lowry situation. And, and as you say, mm. it was fantastic to see that last night. As a, as a Northeasterner, it was good, great to see, you know, the the Helen Rollison Award going to, to young Bradley. And uh, yeah, hey, great, great stuff. And you know, I commend you on a great job, Vicky, because you, you do you do do a great job. And you know, you've um, as you say, when you were up here, you, you're a big miss, but you deserve to go on to better things. And, and good luck to you, you know. Thank you very much. It's very kind. I think very much for our generation as well, the connection to radio was a lot deeper because Mm -hmm. for a lot of us, it was the only way to keep track about what was going on. Mm -hmm. If you were at a match and in a way game and you wanted to know what was happening in other games, you always made sure that one of the lads had a tranny with them. And again, that was a very different thing back then as well. No social media, Um, no internet. It was was teletext, wasn't it, when I was growing up, waiting for 302 to flick over onto the next score line. Stand outside a Rumbelow's window trying to watch the the scores go past if you were stuck on Northumberland Street. You're you're absolutely right. And and so we have this sort of much deeper connection um, to radio than many. And and radio's taken the almost to the highest highs and the lowest lows and being mm. there all along. And I think that is the the real link in love and why I still love in broadcast media. There's nothing better than listening to a well-described match on radio. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we get radio commentaries out here via via one of the radio stations, Dubai Eye, out here runs the, um, the, the, the Premier League commentaries via... Talk sports international service, and it's really good if 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 there's something I'm doing, or if I'm out and about to actually whack the radio on and listen to the, the football commentary in the car, and, mm. and there's a degree of nostalgia, there's a degree of you've struck the nail on the head immediacy. Mm. I don't think there's there's many other things that are as immediate. For some reason, you almost feel the immediacy more through radio than you do watching Keys and Grey ramble their way through it over here, you know, on 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 uh, on BN Sports. It's 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 a far more enjoyable thing and, and we've got some good lads on the radio out here who get involved with broadcast who are knowledgeable, who know football and other sports inside out. And they can ask pertinent questions, difficult questions, um and, and do all the things that you've talked about here. Um, and, and, it, and it's really great for me to see radio still thriving in, in a way 
that in many ways it shouldn't really be in such a modern age where it's just as easy to get your information off of a, off of an app on your smartphone. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say, Vicky, when it comes to when it comes to Newcastle, to me, you've got the, obviously the Mayan you've got the Man Cities, but there isn't a great deal um, of um, dearth of news news events like um, a show. Like I've, I've seen one guy who's now linked with with Sky um, every day. That, but nothing. You've got obviously got the radio, but it didn't seem to be like a daily thing. The only thing daily is kind of BBC. You you know talk sport. More or, less ev- more or less every night, isn't it? But when it comes to anything happening with the club, like obviously I'm putting myself forward for it because I know I'll be good at it. But um, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be the immediacy of what there is. Like I, I've, every time there's something happens in Newcastle, they go to Sky Sports because it's immediate. It's on Sky Sport News, isn't it? So when there, there seems to be a, you know, I, I, I go to the fact where people Newcastle, everybody knows Newcastle is such a big club, but media-wise. Uh, it's still kind of on the down low, I think, quite um, not not masses of what it probably should be. Mm, I guess, yeah, there are individual decisions that every club will make. You know, do you have your own in-house channel like Chelsea TV or MUTV and, and stuff? I remember you saying both calling MUTV after, I think it was after the Middlesbrough game last uh, mm. last season. So, yeah, I, I guess that's just a, a decision that, every club makes but I think that is again coming from local radio obviously unbiased but I think that is one of the things that local radio is so important for particularly perhaps a little bit further outside of London where you you don't always perhaps get the national coverage when you're out kind of in the regions or whatever so obviously again coming from BBC Newcastle got a lot of friends there but mm. you know you do have that devoted time to to the northeast clubs and I think yeah local radio kind of allows people to, to come on and, and have their say in that way and I think it is something that yeah fans appreciate mm, yeah I think when it comes to I think moving forward I think if obviously if the day cover happens I think it would be absolutely massive uh, I think uh, especially being over in, in Dubai it, um, you know it, it's, for one minute it was quiet wasn't it Neil now with people are really starting to get interested in you cashing in and that will only help the brand going forward and um I Look, think the, the, the biggest biggest thing that will help the brand going forward is getting the tacky sports adverts off it off the ground as soon as possible, and that's what needs to happen if you want to talk about advancing the brand and making mm. the brand big. Because the potential out here as a brand, you've just got to see what Man City have been able to do in a very mm. short period of time across the entire Middle East. I've, I've lived in four of the seven Emirates, and I've been in every one of the seven Emirates and the Enclave of Hatta. and I've been up to Oman and everywhere you go because as you all bloody know I've got this slight pension for Adidas trainers and so any opportunity I get to go and mooch around the sports shop I will and I've been in sports shops length and breadth of, 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 of the UAE and Oman and you can't move for Man City branded stuff mm-hmm. everything yeah. from iPad covers to underwear, to polo shirts, to you name it, it's out there. Um, and that's in a really relatively short period of time. I bet if you went to Abu Dhabi 10 years ago and said, and took the name Man City out, you'd have got a shrug. Mm. And that's the potential, the absolute potential of brand here. And that's just in the Gulf. 
actually what happens beyond that, you go to the whole Asian Football Conference, and you, you've got China, Korea, Japan, Australia now. Everywhere, interestingly, that Man City want to have effectively feeder clubs as part of the brand. And it, it, it's massive, absolutely massive. Um, you really, the, 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 the potential is crackers, absolutely crackers. And, and not even if we did a quarter of what Man City you've done out here. Would you'd be talking incomes, you know, the likes of which you would never believe off of, you know, one of the areas we poorly performed in is commercial income in relative to our peers over the last ten years. Um, that would go stratospheric in in relative terms. And like I say, mm-hmm. that would be on maybe a quarter or even even a fifth of what Man City do. It's it's, it's bonkers. Mm. I was going to say, I think in Stephen. The one thing that probably Neil's brought my attention to is um, since the article came out last week on, you know, there being a deal done or deal, you know, struck, mm. there's been a lot of um, uh, articles I've, I've noticed um, that the money could be coming from bad money in the Middle East. Uh, so they're basically trying to say, well, we could be linked with a bad, the bad lot in, um, in the Middle East. But you can't imagine, uh, Steve... Uh, and they give that uh, any money that comes from her contacts would be of the highest stature of um, of cleanliness and and in good faith, Steve. Yeah, listen, none of us really know where the money's coming from. Um, mm. All we know at the moment is that it's uh, PCP partners, which is headed mm. by Amanda Stavely. Um, that that realistically, that's all we know at this moment in time. And obviously, we know that. You know, there's been you know two bids put in, um, and you know it, it talks are ongoing. And we know that they sat down and had uh, a conversation over a curry prior to Mike Ashley jetting off on holiday. So you know that's where we're at. Uh, you know that's it. You know people will have picked up you know information from their various sources, and you know somewhere amongst every story that every journalist and every media um, outlet has put out there. There will be, um, you know, th- there will be the truth. But you know, it's a game. It's a big game at the moment. And you know, until until we until we hit the end game, you know, none of us are really going to be quite clear what's happened. And you know, it it will be literally a situation where we all wake up one morning mm-hmm. and the deal is done. There is an announcement. But until we see um, an official statement by Newcastle United Football Club, and until we see an official statement from PCP Partners stating that exclusivity has been um, agreed and we're moving on to the next stage, then that's when we can all get excited. Until then, anything that goes in a newspaper, anything that goes online, or anything that's reported on television and radio is all very academic because there is no uh, confirmation from either party. When we get that, we can get excited. We can start thinking about it. We're still really, uh, not being a party pooper, we still can't really get excited when exclusivity is reached because that's just the next stage. Once exclusivity is reached, we then have to go through you know, PCP have to go through the, um, you know, the, the checks by the Premier League, which are a little bit more stringent than they have been in the past because of a few of the people who've got through and ended up running football clubs. So, listen, I personally feel it will be done. When will it be done? I don't know when it will be done. It will be next year, I would imagine. I don't think it will be done before Christmas. And the only person who really put a, a deadline on this was, was, was Mike Ashley with, yeah. with, a, you know, with a comment where he said, you know, I, I would like it done before Christmas. Well, you know... It might not get done before Christmas, and and that is a big problem with regards to the money going into the club. 
You know, we, we, we all hope that there's money going to be invested in the playing squad. That's for them to sort out, you know. I, I'm sure that Mike Ashley, um, you know, you know, knows whether there's, you know, the, the, again, it's been alluded by the media that there's other interested parties. None of us really know whether there's any interested parties or not. However, it would appear, I would say, that there is only one runner and rider. And, you know, I'm sure that Mike Ashley, if, if there is only one runner and rider and he wants to sell the club, he realises that at some point, there has to be an end game, and he has to basically he has to agree to, to some kind of terms and conditions. So we're living hope. I'm gonna I'm personally gonna have to bow out of the show yeah, now. Well, um, but you know, for, from my perspective, you know, I, I, I feel there will be a deal done, and I think in the new year we will be looking at a new owner. Let's just hope that um, they get the opportunity to invest some money in the transfer window before it's too late. But uh, on that note, I wish you all a happy Christmas, and look okay. forward to speaking to you all in the new year. All right, thanks, Steve. Take care. You too, Bye bye, bye bye. Cheers. Um, so, uh, Vicky, when you're, uh, I think uh, when when you what's what's your next um, what's your next goal in the in the radio? Is it is it uh, you gonna how long how long have you been doing it for now? You've been doing it for well, probably is it more than eight years now or less? Yeah, so it's about it's about twelve um, uh, twelve in total from starting doing work experience back with BBC Study. Uh, in back in the day when I was 18, uh, going to eighth, ninth tier matches and doing reports down on mobile phone, and then coming up through BBC Newcastle, working a bit for BBC London, and yeah, the stuff I'm doing now. So I think just to continue, really. I, like I say, I love the companies that I work for at the moment: the, the Premier League and the BBC, mm. uh, both great companies to work for. And yeah, we'll see see what happens. They can send you abroad, can't they? Can they say? Because I know, like I've, I've seen some journalists when they work for Premier League. They sometimes do go to seem to be. Yes, like, there are there are options at the moment. I'm just uh, I'm just sticking in the northeast as as we are, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how things develop. Yeah, I think uh, with the well, I think once everything happens for the hopefully with the takeover, I think it'll be it'll start to kick off, and you can imagine the team, you know, be taken to Dubai probably quite regularly, and I think uh, the one thing you I noticed with Man City is that their their PR, their their social media, uh, the way that they conduct business when it comes to press and everything that it seems like they've completely opened the doors. Like especially you know the the uh, when it comes to the the tunnel as well, that they're more or less trying to make it a bit more like uh, the Dallas Cowboys type entrance mm-hmm. when the players can walk it and the fans can see them. Yeah, well, American sports access is. is- very comprehensive. I, I think we get good. We do get good access here. I think there is also a, a sense in which, and I've kind of, you know, had said this to, to managers at a lower level in the past when you're, you're trying to maybe kind of, you know, have a chat with them before the game and stuff. Certainly in the women's game, which I've worked a lot on, you, you are lucky that you do have the access and being able to call managers sometimes mm-hmm. before matches and have a chat with them. But you've got to prioritise the sport. I mean, yes, we want to do our job well. Yes, we want inside information or we want to present things accurately or for me as a commentator it's always about checking pronunciation of players and talking about formations just to help me but the priority is the football it's always the football and so whatever a manager feels is going to be helpful for, for his players or or uh, kind of along those lines um, well, especially with the, the word embargoed I love that word when you hear the word yes. like basically if you hear something like or, or a manager's told you something you, yes. <laughs> you've got to abide by the embargo and uh, yes. Especially on Twitter, but it is very, very, you know. I suppose it's. It doesn't. I think it doesn't matter how much they embargo. If you if you know if you want something out there to, but it is kind of difficult if you say, well, listen to BBC Newcastle tomorrow at ten o'clock. 
you know, there's, there's going to be yes. breaking news, and then, and then the, there's yes. a, there's a whir of um, rumor and counter rumor. So it's it's mm. it's a difficult balancing act for you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just one of the rules that the, the industry abides by. I mean, that's a kind of unwritten rule between press officers. I think it's mm. often with new signings. I mean, you, you would get it a lot that you might perhaps get a, a, a heads up a little bit early that there will be a new signing. And, and it's that trust, again, between broadcasters and, and print journalists and clubs that they might give us a bit of a heads up that something's coming to help us mm. and to, so that we've got information to go. But at the same time, they have to be able to trust us to to use that information responsibly because they actually they are the most important to decide it is the club's prerogative to decide when they want to release that information it's not the journalist so particularly if it's something official so so yeah but I, sadly I have a prior commitment Andrew so I'm no, going to have to no, run but it's to... been really lovely thank you very much for having me on and, uh, oh, it's really been a pleasure and I'll try I'll try and obviously I'll meet you in Newcastle one day a, a coffee and then you can you can see what uh, the rubbish that the face of radio is actually not too bad face to face. Jody Gorgeous, remember that hashtag. We, Thank you. We, we've always we've always enjoyed having you on Total Sport, so I miss chatting to you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Vicky. You too. Thank you. Thanks, Vicky. Take care. Bye bye. Merry Christmas. Hey, it's lovely, Vicky, isn't she? Great to have her on. Fantastic. Yeah, it's good to catch up with her. She's good crack when I used to do bits and bobs for Total Sport. So. Oh, yeah, because I never even knew that. I never even knew you were on. Uh, Total sport. Uh, oh yeah, you know I get around. One media <laughs> hole that I am. Do you think? Do you get on when uh, Newcastle, obviously when Newcastle win or defeat, you you, you rang in type thing and uh, this season? Depend. Or? Depended. No, I've, I've not done it this season, and I didn't do it. Did I do it? There? I did a couple maybe last season when they got in touch with us to ask for a few bit, you know, ideas. I think mm. they were trying to get an idea of what it was like following the the championship from from afar because obviously it was there was less access to the games mm. um but prior to that you know i did, did obviously my relationship with the bbc goes back to the support as trustees and mm. all the yeah. stuff we did with yes we can from there on you know and got involved with the fans forum and prior to that obviously you know i'm well known for being a fanzine gobshite so there's pl- plenty of excuses for me to haul myself around various media outlets talk, talk about uh, fanzine gobshite i've just seen the mac <laughs> go into more depth on this um, the bad money is coming from Dubai <laughs> can't make this double I've seen Steve Hastie's obviously not here tonight but yeah. uh, he's on an event so I, I, I think you saw it I, I think we both saw it and it just shows you isn't it there's, there's lots of information out there for people to, to, to look at and look, to figure which, what's real I'm, and what's I'm not real damn, damn sure if you're going to dissect the potential investors from any part of the world yeah. you could dig up a load of shit like, yeah. why don't yeah. we go through the, the premiership at the moment you know how much we've got Mr Usmanov at, at, at Arsenal you've mm. got um, obviously the owner at Chelsea Abramo, Abramovich as you're supposed to say and mm. then you, you know let's dig through the histories of some of the investors from China from the Far East from mm. Thailand from mm. You know, come on, let's let, yeah. let's all, let's all dig through all of that. If you if you throw enough mud, eventually bits stick. If you want to go and find something rubbish about a country, you'll find it. Mm. Um, okay. You know, the the reality is, you know, um, you can call certain things as much as you like. Let's look at the 
the money going into PSG from Qatar, mm. for God's sakes. And I'm telling you now, there's still stuff going on over there with the workers, with the World Cup, question marks over human rights mm. and more. Mm. Um, so, you know, let's all chuck low. Just let's go digging into the, the owners of most of the big clubs in Europe, for God's sake. Mm. So, you know, it, 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 there's no point in focusing on that. Mm. Absolutely no point. I saw the article, I was like, I was a bit surprised, but anyway. I'm not. Um, it's me, I thought it was a bit... I'm not, I'm not, not anyway. the negativity yeah. that oozes, you know. <laughs> well, I'm going to get bring in Lee Tom... <laughs> Lee Johnson, I caught my words in my mouth, Lee Johnson, uh, obviously uh, a lot's happened last week with Newcastle and the bid that wasn't a bid, and uh, how, how, how was... Last week for you, especially with the defeats coming on and uh, allegedly there's abuse uh, being shouted at um, that Rafa, that Matt Martin Hardy mentioned, uh, uh, it's probably been a tumultuous time for you as well, I presume. Um, well, you would have thought last um, I was um, subject to an electric shock when the news started to bring on Wednesday about possible deal being done. I mean, I got no work done in the afternoon at work because I was just like bouncing around. I couldn't. Our lasses were just laughing at us in the office, like, looking at this thing, what the hell's wrong with him? Because um, I thought, here we go, and this is it, it's going to be done, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, we then cleared well on Wednesday night against Everton. Fortunately, another mistake cost us by Darlow, but we looked a lot, <coughs> we looked a lot more solid with Ayla Sells back on the side, as we, as we did on Saturday against Arsenal, where we unlucky. Um, but, unfortunately, Andrew and Neil, as you both know, um, everything that Mike Ashley does at Newcastle United ultimately does affect our team. It has over 10 years. Um, this back the team, not the regime um, line, which has been used many times. Um, he ultimately affects the team more than any fan. Um, so back in the team doesn't necessarily help because everything the regime done as far as I'm concerned, it affects the team, and the longer this kind of drags on, drags on it's definitely affecting the team. Even though I'm, I am seeing uh, feeds of improvement on the pitch, I think we're going back to basics. I think we're starting to defend well. I, thankfully, Rafa's abandoned the 4-4-2. I didn't understand why he went that way in the first place. Quite surprised at that. Continuous. It was a tried and tested formation, which we used in the Championship all the way into the Premier League. Um, up until October where we were doing fine we were in games, we were staying in games we were pinching them 1 or 2 nil. that was great I think he's gone back to that, Lascelles has made a massive difference but you know, what Martin Hardy who was it, Martin Hardy again Martin, is it Martin yeah. Hardy? Yeah. Well, I mean what he said about fans and things like that but, Andrew, you're probably talking about the odd moron, really the atmosphere against Everton was pretty good the, the, the fans in general stayed with the team yes Benitez, in terms of team selection recently, can be questions. I have questioned it, I've just said. I, I don't know why he abandoned his um, 4 5 one. Um, but, and, I, and I can't see Benitez being one of them managers who's bout the fan pressure by paying 4-4-2, but those who asked for 4-4-2 are getting, getting a set of results which they deserve because, unfortunately, with this group of footballers, um, who, by the way, I don't think they're as bad as what the current results suggest, um, I just think the way we try to set up, I don't think we're good enough. I don't think we've got a good, good enough players. And also, Andrew, I don't think we're good enough to miss the likes of Lascelles, the likes of Atsu, the likes of Marino, who hasn't been fully fit. So, you know, 
we've got a limited squad. We've got a small squad. Hopefully that's going to change. Um, but I'm still confident in the manager, and I'm still confident in this group, even if we don't get investment, God forbid, that we can steal. But unfortunately, if we don't get investment, that would suggest the, the, the takeover doesn't happen. And I don't see Benitez being here much longer. Oh, definitely wouldn't, Neil? <clears throat> well, I think we would probably the most to get out of him is to the end of the season. Yep. Um, I think we'd be, be honourable enough to, to see that through. But I think that would be it, no matter what. Whether we stayed up or not, that would be it. I think we're, we're, we're sort of all in on him, really, yep. right now. And uh, that's the way, sadly, it is. And so um, we need investment to come. We need investment in the first team. That's absolutely clear to everybody who's got a pair of eyes. Um, and so what we've got to hope is that as part of any potential ongoing discussions is that if, for example, something happens to be agreed because like Steve says quite rightly before, it could be done overnight. Yeah. We could be sat here now and there could be ink drying on the bloody paper. This is the, the, the one thing I will say is at least at the minute, the, nothing's sort of being leaked mm. at the moment. Yeah. It, it is what it is. And that's the way it should have been all along, really. Um, whoever started playing the games with the leaks, and I've got my suspicions who, um, really hasn't helped the situation whatsoever. I would far rather that we weren't talking about it, that certain things weren't, hadn't been made open, but they have been. Um, but we're going to hope that if the ink happens to be drying on the page right now, that an agreement is made that any investment that Ashley makes in January is reimbursed as part of the deal. And therefore, uh, everybody's happy and everybody can move on, rebuild, uh, Mr Ashley can get the money and get away and do whatever he wants to do. Um, it's nice, nice, of you, nice of you to call him Mr Ashley. I've got a few other names from the honest. Well, you know, obviously... Obviously, uh, one has. Yeah, Neil. It's, I think the big thing for me is I can see. It's, I think it's because pretty much every single fan can see the light at the end of the tunnel of his ownership, mm-hmm. and, and it's right in front of us. It's right in front of our eyes, and that's it's like the frustration, mate. It is. I. It's like because because currently, this is probably the the worst. Right, I believe in his ten year stint of affecting mm-hmm. the team mm-hmm. because of what's on the table. Because we know there's somebody there who wants to maybe take the club forward, who wants to maybe build something here. And the fact it's right in front of our eyes and the team is doing so badly on the pitch code here at this moment in time, you know for a fact the moment that deal is announced, it'll light a firework here. The fan base will yes. unite behind the <coughs> The team will get 100% support from the stands even more than they're getting at this particular moment in time. And I still believe yes. if we get the odd player in, we will have enough to stay in this league. I believe we're going back to basics over the last couple of games and saying mm. beads of improvement. And I just think if the deal's announced, it will, it will light the firework. I really do. I think, um, obviously, with the, I think because of so many things happened last week, especially with you know the stuff that was allegedly happening and not happening, it's definitely effect, it definitely affected... Everybody, I think, because of, I think um, the amount of people that were, tw- uh, you know, talking about it on Twitter that it's definitely going to happen, you know, then you have negative articles come out. It make it makes you think, well, whatever's been said didn't actually happen. 
and it's and it's I think the good thing about what happened is that we did have an improved performance um, at the weekend. Yes, we we lost, we lost, but for sure, you know, give you a bit of hope. Considering I did think it be, it's going to be three three or four nil. But um, what did you think about the uh, uh, the, the articles and uh, this last weekend uh, when it came to the takeover, uh, Chris Parry in Texas? Um, hey guys, how's it going? It's a uh... I mean, we've been we've been waiting and waiting. Uh, it's uh, it's. <laughs> I mean, I I think we all our our worst fears is that this is all going to kind of just go for naught, and he's going to rip the rug out from under us. But uh, <laughs> on a pos- on a on a positive note, fellas, um, I'm not sure how many match. I know it's the Christmas time, it's the holiday time, and usually there's the matches come fast and furious. If if somehow Newcastle is able to get five points. Out of the matches before January first, uh, that's you know, that, that. If you, the one thing you look at the table right now, I mean, my gosh, you win a couple matches and you go from the relegation to mid-table. It's crazy. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy how how close everything is. So really, it's not as bad as it as it seems. But it could also that also could be a bad thing because when there's so many teams down there. There's really no room for error because any little slip up and you and you drop down. So it's <clears throat> I, I I hope that they can somehow get 20 points going to the Christmas period. I really don't think 20 points um, uh, 20 points in February to May is out of the question. Try to get the 40 point mark and uh, and somehow survive. Uh, I, I, John Joe Shelby to me should not play for Newcastle ever again. I, I just don't think. I think. I think he needs to go. Absolutely. I think he needs to go more than Mitrovic, more than anybody, because he's supposedly the captain of the team, and this is twice that he's let the emotions get the best of him. He has not shown leadership whatsoever, and he's gotten a stupid red card, and now he's back missing matches again. It's uh, and when he's out there, guys, I don't know about you, but I have not been that impressed with him this year. I just haven't. I guess he can put a good pass together, but so can Marino, and yet Marino can keep his keep his composure. And you don't need guys flying off, flying off and getting red cards right now. We were all frust- Everybody was frustrated watching watching the Everton match. I mean, <laughs> you know, Newcastle should have scored multiple goals and didn't. I mean, that's a broken record. That's a broken record. And the goalkeeper made a complete hash out of a save. That come on now. And of course, it was Rooney just twisting the knife in even further, you know, you know, against Newcastle, which made it even worse. And I remember I said on this program, I told you that I knew that Rooney was going to score, but I was hoping it'd be two to one, you know, not one nil. I think uh, when it, I think when it came to Shelby, I'll, I'll ask Neil and Lee, but um, I, when you see it again, I can kind of understand the tackle because he's, he's desperate to get the ball back. When? But Which when you one? be. Well, I, I thought the, the first one was poor. The red the card. The, the second challenge. The second challenge from the red card. Well, I, the first one was soft. I, I thought he. Are you talking about? But are you talking about the second? Are you talking about the second challenge when he went to get the ball? Second challenge. Yeah. You're talking about? Yeah. He's just. Been, I, well, I had a good view of that. I mean, he's just being a burke. It's absolutely pointless. Mm. He didn't need to do it. Evan, yes. Absolutely. Instead yeah, of just going, keeping his composure. Exactly. Evan, Evan were going nowhere at the end of the day. They were in the middle of the pitch, and he goes and makes an absolute ridiculous tackle from behind Andrew. He got everything he deserved, and Chris is right. He hasn't influenced one single game this season because mainly he sat in the stands for five of those games. 
You'd think it would sink in, wouldn't you, Neil? You'd <laughs> think. Yeah, you, you would think so, but I mean, that's just... He's also uh, one of our highest earners, boys. Yeah. He's also Clint, one of the club's highest Clint, earners Chris, as well, wage guys. Plain stupidity, put it down to one thing, it's, it's just awful game management. What are you thinking at that time? What's the point? Where you are making this, making, as Lee quite rightly says, a burke of yourself. Um, people question, and then, and then Neil, you're out for another game. Ridiculous. You know what it is, Neil? People question as well, Neil, why Rafa doesn't pick the likes of Mitrovic and Shelby. And it's because there, of that. Right there. That. Yeah. That. West Ham. That. Yep. They, they, these are I mean, the say what you want about what? say what you want about Diami, but at least he doesn't do stupid stuff like that. Now, granted, he does miss a freaking golden chance where all he has to do is get his shoelaces, get his shoelaces to the ball. Because ultimately, you've got more chance of winning a football match with eleven men on the pitch than ten. And the in the gamble absolutely. That, and the gamble is that Chelsea or Mirovic, you're going to get an, unfortunately, you're going to get you a bloody red card. Yeah. No, you're right. And, and, and guys, as much as we hated it, and I hated it, I thought Newcastle was all over Everton in the first half. I thought they should have been up three or four to one if they could have taken any of those chances. But in the second half, they were found out. I mean, Everton, I don't know what tactical moves out, you know, they went in there and did, but Everton was by far the better team in the second half. Newcastle did nothing. And then, and then they really showed – they showed how to close out a match. There have been matches this year when Newcastle has been up 1-0 at the end of matches, and if they've completely bottled it, you saw what Everton did. Everton went to, went to St. James's Park, and they shut Newcastle down in the second half, made it, all, made it unwatchable. Unwatchable. But I'll tell you what, Chris. Chris, I'll I tell you what. I know obviously what you're saying about Everton there, but Everton have spent $170 million last summer Absolutely, absolutely. They've, they've, they're they've finally going to get some money. Yeah. I watched that team, which was worth 170 million against ours, which is worth probably in total about 55 million, and I thought, Jesus Christ, is there any difference between these two? I wish Rafa Benitez had 170 friggin' million to spend, and I'm not on your cattle. Absolutely. No, 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 you're absolutely. Well, hey, guys, I, I read, I think I read on Twitter or something like that, that to even, even remotely change anything for Newcastle in January, it's going to take like 200 million quid to actually get decent players. That if you put 50 million, it's a Band-Aid, and you're, looking for, you're just looking for deals. I mean, honestly, if, I, if they were going to spend 50 million quid, I cannot, I'd, 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 just, I'd, buy, I'd buy one player. I'd buy a striker. I'd buy a guy that was going to put the ball in the back of the net every single match and just play, the rest of the, play with the rest of the team and say, let's go. I mean, I'd, I'd almost rather have that. I think we need three, a centre-forward, a number 10, and I'd take another left-back. That would do me. Mm. But it's easier said than me. And another goalkeeper. Although, yeah, so we've already talked about this. It was so funny to hear that the BBC and Match of the Day and all this stuff were talking about you, what we were talking about last week, that the young guy deserves a chance. He absolutely yeah. deserves a chance in the net because the other two have shown that they don't deserve it, in my opinion. It's time to give the guy that just won a darn uh, European was a, a World Cup, under-21 World Cup, a chance to actually play for Newcastle United. Or you know what's going to happen, fellas? He's going to go to another team just like Fraser Forrester did. And he's going to shine and with this big six-foot goalkeeper that Newcastle could have had, and they let him get away, and now he's playing for somebody else. 
uh, uh, it's just it's so frustrating. <laughs> I think uh, when it, uh, you know you watch, it's interesting that you watch a, uh, you watch that match and how we played out, and then you watch the way we played on Saturday, Neil. It was mm-hmm. like it's night and day, wasn't it? We just like yeah, uh, every, yeah. I did expect Newcastle to get hammered, and the only reason we got beat was by a wonder goal. It, it, in many ways, yes. Um, it, it, it just shows you concentration, organisation. Um, I think, to to be fair, if just one of those attempts that hit the woodwork against Everton had gone in, the game would have been an entirely different game. Yeah. There's no doubt yes. about that. But it, yes, but they're, it just, they're not getting any luck right now. It didn't. But, uh, but Chris, I'm going to say this, and I've said this before on this show, you make your own luck. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You are what your re- hey Bill Parcells here in in America said it best. Yeah. You are what your record is. It's okay. no one else's fault but yours. And based on what you've just said there about luck, I believe over the last two performances in terms of the work rate and the application, that will turn again if they continue to work as hard as they are. They'll turn. Yeah, it eventually all it eventually always balances out. I mean, like I said, remember we've talked about in the beginning of the matches when Newcastle's on that great run. Remember that one wide open header I think Crystal Palace guy had, and he just completely bottled it. I mean, it's yeah. it's you know, so it it it, it all kind of evens itself out. But guys, I'm telling you, if they can just somehow, by the grace of God, get 20 points before January before before January, I think there's a chance to save this. Because I'm trying to remember the last team, the last owner, who his team was relegated three three times in his in his ownership tenure and had to come back. I mean, to me, that's just ridiculous. He's taken a he's taken a proud franchise in Newcastle United, and he's basically turned us into Fulham. You know, going up and down, up and down, up and down. It's ridiculous. I think that's why that's why they need to take over because you know. It's interesting today, gentlemen. I, I think Neil, you might have saw it. I'm sure Lee did. And maybe, maybe Chris, but I'll go to Lee first. Did you see um, that the Chronicle mentioned there could be a provisional agreement? Did you see that bit? I haven't yeah. read too much about it. Yeah, that, I'll, I'll get to Neil. And I, saw it, I saw it on Twitter when I got up this morning. I, 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 Andrew was speculating on what we know. Yeah. We know there's a willing seller, we know there's a willing buyer, we know they're trying to negotiate a deal. One way around the deal, around the relegation clauses, you agree a provisional deal provided we stay up. Then, everything's on Ashley to invest in January to make sure we do stay up, which is it's just another player on the, on the thing. And you know what? If that man had accepted a deal two months ago when the first came to the table, there was no relegation clause. Oh, there wasn't really? even a consideration. But it also wasn't three hundred million either. <laughs> he was like, "What? Two, she offered like two hundred to set to the first half." Well, I'll tell you what. And won't be three hundred million. Hold on, Jim. We're talking. We're talking over each other. Say that again, Neil. I'll tell you what. If the pull, if he, if he, if if she pulls the plug and we get relegated, his his franchise will be worth about fifty million. If that. Well, see what you said before. Before you got drowned out a little bit, Neil. Well, no. But bottom line is, is. On the, uh, and currently, it won't be three hundred million either. He's he's playing his usual gambler's trick, and it's a gamble he's going to lose. But he's stubborn. He's obstinate. He's using every media trick possible to try and put pressure to paint PCP as tire kickers. Don't have the money to do the deal. Put a little bit of pressure on through this. Let's get this one to turn. Let's get this one to turn up on Sky Sports and see what the club's mm. worth. I'm sorry. Um, 
it, what he wants and what it's worth. There's four different ways, as we've discussed before on the show, valuing a football club, and the numbers vary by as much as 100 million. And so it's only actually worth what somebody's prepared to pay for it. I think I saw somebody turn and say, oh yeah, give him, just add 250 million and he'll take it. But the fact that they've, well, allegedly again, but they've, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was Steve put it in there, I think he did. He said that it's 65%, they believe it's 65% mm-hmm. chance of Newcastle being relegated. So you can understand why they're not exactly running to the table to take away that relegation cause, can you? Because everything extra they're spending now, mm. they can't spend on players in January exactly. to keep them up. Mm. This is how it works. There's the reality. And why, you know, why, why give him anything? Why give him? Why give him anything else, Neil? She's got him. She's got him by the balls. Mm. No one well, else is interested. Yeah, every time Newcastle loses, every time Newcastle loses, the price goes lower and lower and lower. She's You're got, right. She's got. There's no, she's got. She's no. She's got no. He's got no gambling chip here. It's the only deal in town. He either that takes is. it, he balls it up, and he loses millions. It's as simple as that. Mm. At this moment in time, as every day passes, the the value of that deal is better mm-hmm. for him, and and that might be what PCP are relying on. So you got to remember, I gotta... as, as I said, he said ages ago, this is a, this is a all-in poker game. Who is going to play blink first? And we're still at that stage. Mm-hmm. Why, well, guys? One thing, one thing that I thought was interesting is we're still at that stage. What did you say, Neil? I mean, uh, well, uh, Chris? sorry, Chris. Well, no, guys. I, I was reading something, and tell me, this is crazy, and it's hard to believe you just forget about things. But I mean, Mike Ashley started this crap last January because he thought that Newcastle was so set to win the championship that he didn't even have to. He wasn't even going to invest and actually bring players in. And let's be honest, the only reason why Newcastle won the championship is because Brighton completely oh, choked yeah. at, the, at, the, at the end. And, 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 and Huddersfield Town was coming up right behind Newcastle. I mean, it, it was... Remember how touch-and-go it was? We were actually yeah. kind of starting to get a little worried. And it was because there was absolutely no investment whatsoever in January. And now we're in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Janu- no investment in January transfer window. I, the meager investment in a summer transfer window, and now here we are. I've, I've said before I wish that Newcastle could actually develop players so they wouldn't be in this mess, but that doesn't seem to be the case. They can't and develop anybody. They have to go buy somebody every time. And as well, Chris, you would have had, you would have had a ready-made Premier League player in Andros Townsend. Yeah. Um, it would have cost Oh, absolutely. It would, have been, it would have been in our team probably this season, playing most of the games. And he's not even playing for Crystal Palace currently. Ten million. He was available at ten million. Ten million pounds. He was. He was, and he was fantastic for Newcastle. Fantastic. I mean, he was. He was exactly what. Look, I'm not saying that Atsu hasn't been a great player. I think Atsu. I mean, you can see the difference. I don't know. Rolando Aaron's. I think his time is up. He is not creating anything when I see him out there on the pitch. I mean, I see Atsu creating things. I see Murphy doing some things. I think um, I think Rolando Aaron's. Uh, I hate to say yeah. it. I think he's yeah. I watched I watched Ats two on on Saturday, and he clearly couldn't get past his man, could he? Because uh, they've got a lot of place, they've got a lot of pace in that team, and you watched him a couple of times when he came on. He he tried to take his man on in that Maitland, who I'm not sure if he played in the under 17s or that won the World Cup, but 
he wasn't get he didn't get anything out of him and his whole basis. Personally, I would have played Aaron's on Saturday because uh, with Arsenal, you've got to go. The only way to beat them is by going with pace, and they were definitely worried because uh, we had we had a few chances near the end. That header just had to be on target. And it was in uh, Perez. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was. I was, and of course, as soon as you know it's going to him. <laughs> it's to be honest with you, Andrew. Right, and Perez, people people pointed at Perez. I, I think stats on Twitter about Perez, and I was like. I watched the 90 minutes, right? And he ran his bollocks off. Mm-hmm. He, oh, absolutely. Him and Jocelyn were running, running around, making it hard for Arsenal to come out. And that has been the hallmark of when we were picking up points this season. Mm-hmm. So, as far as I'm concerned, you go back to that. And we go back to that quick. We, we kept Arsenal at bay. We made it difficult for them to try and break down. Our lines were good. And in that last 20 minutes, we went at them. Six weeks ago, or seven weeks ago, if we had done that before this bad run of results, everyone would have been saying, we were lucky today. That was much better than Newcastle United. Not, not people saying, oh, well, it was expected because of the way we were playing. But if we can stay in games again, make it difficult for teams, we've got the ability there, and, and that's the only problem I've had with Benitez over the last seven weeks. I just don't understand why he abandoned a formation that worked. It worked in the championship, and it worked most of this season so I don't understand why we went 4-4-2 we've been 4-4-2 over yes we've lost certain players and personnel we're getting players back the cell clearly makes a massive difference massive, yeah. so just go back to the tried and tested go back to basics let's be boring as people were saying which was ridiculous it wasn't boring it was brilliant I loved watching us defend um, and we'll be all, we'll be alright like I said if we can if the chance if we can if the takeover is going to be announced or Someone comes across and says, if the deal's going ahead, this and much money's going to be available in January, it will light the spark in the fan base. It'll light the spark and we'll be fine. I believe in the manager and I think it's about time everyone believes in the manager and I think we'll be all right. Well, winning, yeah. I mean, winning cures all Ill, winning cures all ills too, guys. I mean, they, yeah. they've got to get three points. A draw is not going to do it. it I mean, until, until the, 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 the lads are being clapped off the pitch after three points, I mean, we're just going to keep having these conversations. It's, and I really think Benitez is panicking, not so much, and he's a terrific, he's a terrific man manager, but the guy has never experienced a losing run in his entire managerial career like he's experiencing right now. So he's throwing stuff at the board hoping it sticks. He just wants something to end the rot. And I think until Newcastle gets a victory and remembers what that feels like, it's, we're going to be like this. I think uh, the West Ham it's, game it's a is shame very, that this is what's happening. Yeah, I think, uh, Lee, that the, the West Ham game coming up, like, it slightly worries me because they, they're, you know, they're playing well. Oh, they've the turned the momentum. corner. No, they've turned the corner. They look like a much better side. I mean, they, yeah. look, they do not look like anything like what... I mean, you heard what, you heard what Allardyce said at the, end, at the end of the Everton game. He's like, you know, we're really, we were very fortunate to play when this team is down like this because he, I mean he, he could see he I mean he could see it right there than Newcastle he was more fortunate with the post I think uh, I, yeah I just I just think I mean look Andrew at the end of the day right West Ham are not Real Madrid mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, you know if you can go to the, if you can go to their new stadium and get their fans on their back which they do by the way mm-hmm. If you can go, if you can go and be tight, if you can go and be disciplined, if you can go and do what you did to Arsenal, we'll more, we'll make more chances against West Ham than we did against Arsenal. So you go there, 
you set the foundation, you go back to basics, you make it difficult for them. We're already going to be without Lanzini. That's a big loss for them. Because he got... Um, he's he's he got in charge, charged, isn't he? Yeah. He's got charged today, retrospectively. There's no way that West Ham will appeal against that, so he's going to have a two-game ban. So they lose one of their most creative players. We... We, on the other hand, I think we'll have picked. I think we, we personally, probably taken a lot from last week. And, and Chris is right. You know, we need something to go for us. We need maybe a goal to kind of for someone's backside. And then if we can take the lead in the game, and having the likes of Lascelles back on the side, that make it difficult for West Ham. It's not. It's a winnable game. There's no doubt about it. And plus, we turned our season around at the beginning of the season against West Ham. Why not again? Why not again? Yeah, true. Well, I'm going to bring in the final guest of this evening, and uh, John, you've seen you know, a weekly caller, the final caller this evening. Good evening, John, how are you? Good evening, Andrew. Evening, lads. You good? Not too bad. So tell me, give me your thoughts. Obviously, we've, had no, we've been talking about the takeover. It seems to be at a standstill, but it also seems that they, they're still talking. So um, I think, it's, for me personally, it's great that the, there's, it's quiet. Which means they're, they're, let's just hope on Christmas Day, like Lee said, and I'm in Germany, so hopefully we'll uh, be able to <coughs> be able to get excited Germany, about Andrew? the future of Newcastle. <laughs> 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 uh, what, what did you What did you think about the the weekend's matches? Uh, because you were quite stinging about Everton, weren't you? Um. Well, I mean, um, first of all, it's been a fantastic, fantastic debate tonight. Like, it's been fantastic. Um. On the, like the Tuesday game or the Saturday game? Well, both. What are your thoughts on both? And uh, you probably got excited last week about the the story that was the story. Mm, well, I mean, against them to the first half of fourth time, we were absolutely brilliant in the first half. I mean, Zon Lucky hit the post twice. And um, but um, I said to you last week about the goalkeeper situation of Cardolo. Right? Mm. I mean, he's just not good enough. I mean, that's twice now he's been making mistakes. The one at Leicester. And the one when he should have held on to the ball from the Leonard header, he should have covered that ball. And um, once he spurs it out, so it'll be one winner. And then um, we lost the game because of his mistake. But on Saturday, we were much better in the second half, sort of thing. And um, we gave it a right go. I mean, like Lee said earlier on, just um, set up the teams could be difficult to beat. Go back to the basics, play a 4 2 3 1, right? And then we'll win games that way. If you're going to play a 4 5 2, it's just not going to work. But I say back to basic, if we just keep going, right, it'll turn. I mean, we are going to win games. It's going to turn. And I believe we're going to stay up this season as well. I think um, somebody mentioned to me this. It, it, the, the, the thing about Newcastle, the way that they're performing, you would. Some, I can't say who told me this, but he says Rafa could be tanking it to, to make sure that with, you know, the. the, the um, the, you know, the, the results are going obviously way to force Mike Ashley because that's what we're, that's what it's coming down to. We have to, it's, it's, you have to force him to make a decision. And the 250 has scoring off that, but I keep on hearing that Neil will know better than me. But I keep on, I keep on hearing that there was a second bid made. Was there a second bid made, or because when Steve mentioned that, I, I couldn't understand because I only thought this 250 was the the offer. No, no. The, 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 <coughs> the, the, look, it, people are picking up. What what confused it was the second round of interest out here, and then that was reciprocated back in the UK and made out like there was a separate second set. There is still a negotiation. The initial offer made was lower, 
significantly and had a number of clauses in place. The second offer was a straight cash offer. And now this talks about how that goes on from there. That um, if Ashley's lowered his asking price a little further and that PCP can come up a little higher and restructure mm-hmm. how they want to offer, that a deal's there to be done. As we've said all night, Andrew would wake up tomorrow morning and find it announced done deal. This is where it is. This this talk of bids and bids and revised bids and more bids and more bids. There is a negotiation, but it's a negotiation that's currently at an impasse. I think John, when you when you when you hear that, it's. I think the interesting thing is, it's like. I think well, we are getting closer and closer to it. I think uh, the fact that Mike actually said Christmas, like it's done by Christmas, when it's nice, it's great that he said it, but really, he's the one that's he's the one that's come out and said it. You would think if he wanted done that quick, he would be more pushing for a resolution because it aids it aids what he wants essentially. Exactly. I mean. How do I pull it? I mean, um, I mean, Amanda Stavely, I mean, offered, what, 250 million, right? And um, Ashley's trying to get more money. Now, yeah. I've heard tonight that um, he's, um, he's not going to get more than that sort of thing. She's in, she holds all the aces, right? Ashley's back in the corner. And um, he's, I just don't think he's going to get more money for that. I mean, the best thing he can do accept that money now, because at the minute, he's um, losing money because he's getting beat all the time. And the more we lose... <laughs> the valuation of the club is just going to drop and drop and drop, and he's playing a dangerous game. But, like I said, she's winning, she's in a fantastic position, and she's just happy to, this is my opinion, I think it'll go through, but I think she'll be quite happy to wait and wait, and then she'll just get the best deal, and I think she will. Well, Chris, when it comes to the, the deal, obviously the first bit was 250, so you would think, she ha- you, would, you, would, you would think, essentially, She'd have to come up, even with this relegation clause. But to me, it's like it, it's just two things to it. If he's got to provide money for the transfer window, it's it's more or less he, he's got to come up. Well, he got, she's got to basically come up twice essentially because he's not going to give money to Rafa Benitez when he's looking to sell to the person that's uh, made a bid. He's gonna have to. Yeah, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to work something out. I mean, if. But here's the thing is, I mean, why would Stavely give money to something she doesn't own yet? Yeah. That makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. What happens if she gives all that money to him and then he and then he just? It happened to Mancini, Chris. It happened to Okay. Oh, so that's how they got Rivaldo then, huh? Is yeah, that it's? Uh, it happened to Mancini. Mancini were Mancini was struggling before the takeover of the sheep, and he did provide funds before the takeover went ahead because obviously it was the deal was pretty much agreed. And I think what happened was I think he he paid the money back to the person who invested on the result of the deal going through. It's happened before. Okay. So well, you I guys remember? I was trying to remember. I was trying to remember the crazy player that that they that they signed right off the bat, and it was it was Rivaldo, wasn't it? it was the Brazilian? Robinho, and you're just Robinho, like, holy Robinho, Robinho. You're like, holy smokes! How'd they get him? What happened was Chelsea were Chelsea were linked with him all the transfer window in January, all the window. And then Man City just came right on the final day and blew them out of the water. And everyone thought, Jesus Christ, these have arrived. 
<laughs> no, you're right. No, you're right. I mean, and and to me, that is what I want. I don't care if she sell if they if I don't care what happens when it happens in January. Yeah, try to get some points. But I'm telling you, I want Obama Miang from you know from Dortmund, or I want one of those strikers from Germany to put the ball in the back of the freaking net. Wow. <laughs> well, Chris, wait, I, you I know that well, you know the person. You know the person Chris speaks about. We could have had him for next to now, about five years ago. But Mike mm-hmm. Ashley wouldn't pay ten million for him. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I think uh, we've got to get. We have, even if they put money in, like when you hear the word thirty million, and that includes wages. Well, mm-hmm. Neil, they're not. They're, they need a striker, and they're going to have to pay a loan fee for allegedly Danny Ings to come anywhere. So every every buy Newcastle make, they're going to be loans because he's not going to spend thirty million. Every single player Newcastle will get, unless he pulls the rabbit out of the hatch and gets Andrus Townsend back, but that's you know that's going to cost now twenty five million. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, it, 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 there's your stick a twist, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going well, to it has to happen, I'm, and and you know they've got they've got the goalkeeper. I mean, they need to go get a goalkeeper. And what about the guy from Chelsea, the one who's just kind of languishes on languishing on the bench? I mean, honestly, I'd throw money at Chelsea and say, "Yeah, we'll take him. We'll we'll loan him for the rest. We'll loan him for the rest of the year." I mean, I don't care if he doesn't stay. Just keep the club up, so we can start. So we can start thinking about the future. And if that's what it takes, go do some loan signings, guys. I don't trust Danny Ings. I haven't seen him play in years. To me, I think that's asking for it. I mean, I that's, that's, that's I just my that's my of, humble uh, opinion. Dwight Gale, I think he's I think he would bring him in because of you would want a, a leg for leg for Dwight Gale because he kind of is like that. But um, you know, the fact that we it's going to be interesting. I, I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Mitrovic if what they decide to do with him and if it's a loan or if somebody comes in to get him. Um, but. I just want I just want the argument over Mitrovic and Hossel who put the bed and that the only way that gets put to bed is if we get bought out and then we go and buy a player of some calibre which uh, Chris has touched on because mm. at the end of the day the ball not good enough mm. the ball not going to score many goals and the reason why we are def- built on a solid foundation of kind of defensively is because we haven't got good enough players going forward. Mm. And Rafa Benitez was clearly let down and had the rope pulled out of him in the summer in that kind of area. The minute the Tommy Abrahams deal went west, that's when the problem started. Mm. Well, it's going to be interesting to find out. So, well, thanks so much for it. has been a great year again with, with Newcastle. I'll be the back. The show will be back on when I get back from Germany. Did I mention I was going to Germany? Uh, in the new year. So, uh, But thanks everybody that's been on. Uh, Chris, Lee, Neil, of course, my my uh, co-host and John I do appreciate it as ever and thanks to Steve Wraith and Vicky Sparks today but we'll catch you again next week in, well, in 2018 gentlemen Merry Christmas and Happy New Year Merry, and, uh, Merry Christmas Merry Happy New Year guys take over Newcastle United will go forward we will become that team that we want us to be yeah. we're going to become a, huge <laughs> have a good Christmas everyone and I hope Mike actually falls over and breaks his ankle <laughs> hey <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot gents catch you in the new year yeah, cheers, yeah. Yeah. Cheers, All right, talk to you later. Cheers, mate. Oh. Happy New Year.
catch tonight's episode uh, with me myself Neil Mitchell and uh, Steve Wraith and Vicky Sparks under go to iTunes under Toon Talk and you can actually listen back to the show with my regular guests as well